Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are thrilled to induct the newest member of the Three Timers Club, Juliet Traub. Welcome, Juliet. Yay! Woo! Yay! Oh, man. Juliet is one of my very favorite people who exists. Um, <laughs> and you may remember her as my oldest friend from the time I was four. I mean, we go that far back. She's the very best. How have you been, Juliet? I have been doing all right. Enjoying the summer. Good. Well, you know, speaking of summer, we just looked up when Juliet was last on the podcast and it was about a year ago last summer. It was episode 309, Sore Loser. So I'm curious, what have you been up to in the last year? Oh gosh. I hate that question, but I love it, but I hate it. Um, (laughs) Probably a lot of the same. Like I, you know, like I wish there was something specific that I could be like this and this. I think I might have mentioned that my brother and his family are coming from Japan, hopefully this summer to visit, which will be is something I'm really looking forward to. I'm very excited about. How often do you get to see him? It's been like probably it was two years before. So it's like probably 2018 that I went to visit. Wow. And so, yeah, I haven't seen them for so long. I haven't like my niece is seven years old. And like the last time the baby is now four years old. Wow. Wow. It's like been a long time, man. That's hard. And you guys are also like tight. and Yeah, we have a a standing like because it's Japan, like a standing family Zoom like every Saturday morning. But sometimes it's like, especially because of daylight saving time, sometimes it's at like 530 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is dedication. Uh, Yeah. So it's great. We all hop on from all of our respective locales and Wow. Um, I love that. Actually, I didn't know that. That's so sweet. Yeah, it's great. And then like my nieces, like they know their aunt and uncles, you know, and so that's really nice. Oh, that's so nice. And I have a new niece too. Oh. Jesse and Becky had a baby. Oh, that's right. And I'm sorry, their names are Jesse and Becky. Oh my Just gosh. Like yes. From Full House. <laughs> Full House alert. <laughs> I can't believe I've never put that together, but you're so right. Oh man. I think they're I think they're even cooler than the original Jesse and Becky. I gotta tell you, oh did Jesse and so Becky cool. from Full House own a bookstore together? No, no, no. I would watch that spinoff though. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> even with the college scandal, I'd watch it. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Juliet. Yeah. You and I tried to call each other a while back and we played phone tag and then it died a sad death. And you had called and left a message saying you had thoughts on the podcast and and parenthood. I totally did. Do you remember any of those thoughts? I always have thoughts on the podcast. I'm listening to you guys. I'm like, oh, like, and I have like, oh, but what about, you know, (laughs) actually it was some things about Hank, but things about Hank that actually didn't come out. Until, until this episode. Ah, so this is perfect that we had you on for this one. Now, then. had you seen it before and you knew that there was some question that he might be on yes. the spectrum? Okay. Yes. Because we found it so hard not to tip our Reveal. hand. And we even discussed sometimes like maybe we should make an exception on our spoilers thing because these are insights we wouldn't have had the first time, but we ultimately decided, no, let's pretend we're, it was really hard because there's all these clues. Yeah, you did it perfectly. Cause I was like, guys, but you you. know, and I was was like, don't you guys know? But your reaction was like, you didn't know. And I was like, oh. Well, and I have to tell you, I mean, I keep torturing myself. Like, have I been way too harsh on him? Because I was rewatching it with that knowledge, but I was like, I am just pretending 
that I don't have that knowledge because the first time I didn't and I didn't guess the first time it wasn't something, you know, and it is, I think a really interesting debate. Like even once you do have the knowledge, to what degree do you hold him accountable for insensitive things he says? I really don't know. I think that's an interesting conversation. And so anyway, we'll probably have that conversation today. (laughs) And in fairness, maybe this is a spoiler, but to my recollection, we don't ever actually find out definitively if he is on the spectrum or isn't. I think jump ball is sort of the last note on it. So it's it's just he might. Jump ball, you say? Yeah, jump ball, I say. Well, that's the title <laughs> of the episode we're going to talk about today. Would you tell us a little about it? It's Parenthood Season 5, Episode 13, <laughs> Jump Ball. It was written by Jessica Goldberg. It was directed by Ken Whittingham. It originally aired on January 16th, 2014. And here's the TV Guide synopsis. Camille returns home, but not everyone is happy to see her. <laughs> I don't think I'd actually read that until right now. What? Like, Who's not happy well, to that's see a, her? That's a vicious way to put that. Anyway. I don't think that's true. Going okay, on. Anyway. Joel puts in long hours at work. Not really. This is a Hank bad recap. problems with Adam. Well, sort of. Not really. And Amber tries to avoid dealing with her issues. That's true. Maybe, or you could argue or she is she's dealing explicitly with dealing with them. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I need to look for a new home of synopses. <laughs> anyway, so let's discuss this jump ball <laughs> diagnosis. You just sort of sounded like this alleged jump ball, <laughs> if that is its real term. Allegedly. <laughs> Dr. Pelican is back. Oh, I and I don't him. have my list of... Bird synonyms. (laughs) Can I just say... Dr. Tweety Bird is back. I don't think we've ever talked about how good that actor is before. How do you say his... Tom... Tom Amandes? I'm guessing. Sorry, Tom, if I'm wrong. Tom, I'm pretty confident about. (laughs) Maybe I should be calling him by fictional birds now. So Dr. Toucan Sam. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that that actor is fantastic. I I don't know if we've really ever done a shout out to him before, uh, other than the episode we had Wayne on for. And and Wayne was like, I thought about auditioning and it didn't work out. And we're glad we said they were looking for actors who were more like him. Yeah. And it's funny. I do. I do find him totally believable as a doctor. As Mm -hmm. a therapist. And Hank is exploring, does he or does he not have some form of autism? I guess I want to know if there's a reason why I've been blowing it with the people that I just care about the most in my life. Uh, Well, if I know, then maybe, uh, maybe I can stop blowing it. You know? Maybe I can change. Well, Asperger's is neurological. Sometimes knowing that you have it can not only be a relief, but a path to acquiring tools for healthier social relationships moving forward. What are you saying then? You're saying that I do have it? It's impossible to know in an hour. I'd need to spend more time with you. I'd have you take some tests. Oh, look, I, I know, I know. You got your methods and all, but I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars. I'm just, can you just, just ballpark it for me, you know? Give me, what's your gut on this? My gut? 
is that it's a jump ball. The spectrum is very wide. I can't tell you that you definitely have Asperger's. I, got, I, know, I, know, I know what jump ball means. You know, not that Asperger's-y. Yeah, you can't tell me that I do, and, and you can't tell me that I don't. I did do a little bit of research, which I almost never do. Oh. I know. I just noticed that he said that his score was four, was high. It was 42. And I had no idea what that meant, you know? So I, I looked it up and... <gasps> Melissa, I'm so proud. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even think to look it up. And just, that's exactly the kind of thing... I'm so curious to hear what you're about to say. Anyway. Well, Go no, ahead. I'm so glad that you said Consider that. Okay. your red carpet laid. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. According to AspergerTestSite.com, 11 to 21 is the average score for most of the population. 22 through 25 indicates that one has a slightly higher than average autistic traits. And 26 through 31 is a borderline score. 86% of people with this score can be correctly classified as having Asperger's syndrome. And then 32 plus is the official criteria for having Asperger's syndrome. So if you go off of that and, and Dr. Pelican saying that sometimes those tests could be quite accurate, I thought it seems like it's there's firmly a firmly in the... Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like borderline. So wow. I thought that, that, anyway, I thought that was interesting because I didn't know what that meant. I have two people in my life who have taken some kind of online autism assessment recently in the last year and really? have decided based on that, that they think that they are on the spectrum. Oh, wow. Hmm. Did that provide any sort of like, like, I feel like with Hank, he feels maybe um, not relieved. I don't know what the word is, but like he, he, you know, it's almost a comfort, like, like there's an explanation, you know? For oh yeah. Some, yeah. Knowledge is power, you know? So when you can finally understand like, oh, there's a reason why, like I can imagine that is just so comforting, you know? Yeah. Well, what did you two think about Hank not wanting to get to the bottom of this? You know, when he says, ah, I don't want to spend thousands of dollars and things. Because when he said that, I, I really identified with that. I thought, you know, even if he does have it, he's been living his life okay. Like, yes, there's things that he wonders, is this having an impact on it? But it's not like, I cannot keep living this way. I must know. I, I don't know. I just, for where Hank is, I sort of felt like, yeah, meeting with someone and just having them tell you, yeah, maybe, maybe not. To me, it seems like, yeah, that could be enough. Wow. And maybe he tries, with that understanding, try some new strategies for navigating the challenges in his life and see if that works. And if it doesn't, well, maybe I don't have it. You know, like, I, I don't know. It didn't seem to me like, no, come on, Hank, find out for sure. But what did you guys think? I'm different from that. I think I would really want to know if if it could even be for sure known, you know, like, because I think about myself at like the doctor, any doctor, I don't care what the doctor is. I think of a whole list of questions to ask while I'm there. And I just want as much information as possible. And I think I would be willing to spend money and, and time devoted to it. Just, I'd be so curious. I, so yeah, that's me. What about you, Juliet? I think I would probably want to know, but if I got a score as high as 42, I might think question answered. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I thought that Ray Romano was just excellent in that scene. Yeah. And the quality that he brought to it gave me such admiration for Hank. 
because I thought it's a very vulnerable and thus I would say brave thing to examine yourself mm-hmm. that honestly about some of the things that you maybe don't like about yourself yeah. or traits that cause you embarrassment or shame. or like, That takes a lot of courage. And I thought, oh, how I wish Julia would do that. But and then especially in the character of Hank, who I feel like has been presented since he showed up as a very not reflective person. Yeah. I, I just thought it was a really humanizing side to the character who is often hard to empathize with. Yeah. He has his moments for sure. <laughs> Wait, his moments where you empathize with him or his moments where you do not? Both. <laughs> That's true. Both. Yeah. Yeah. He's very dynamic. I mean, it really is like a lights out performance from Ray Romano. I mean, it, it's sort yeah. of a revelation. I think it's probably one of the most like impressive performances on the whole series. You know, I can see why they wanted to keep having him come back and, I really even think that my like extreme negative <laughs> reaction is a testament to his acting because I never once was like, and Raymar Romano isn't even good. Why is he here? I mean, I thought he was fantastic and he was really making me struggle. And then in an episode like this, it reminds me that both I think with characters, but also with real life people, the quality that I can't seem to get past or forgive is when people don't reflect. You know, I was only really angry at Crosby when he cheated on Jasmine, when he was like acting like the whole world had wronged him. Then I'm like, oh, I'm furious at you because you messed up and you won't admit it. Like everyone messes up. You know, I, I think it, it wasn't just that Hank was gruff. He, he like kind of broke up a relationship or at least had a part in it and acted like, I don't care. You know, like, and, and th- <laughs> there were just things about him that I'm like, ah, oh. but now he's reflecting, right? Now he's like, what if it's me? And so now I'm instantly much more empathetic with him because I'm like, that's all I ask. I think we should all do that. What if it's me? You know, like, what, what can I do to improve? How could I be better? So I don't know. I, I loved him in this episode. Nice. I was listening to the podcast before this revelation talking about Hank and you were just like, he's so terrible and he's so selfish and he's just I was like yeah I was like I was like it's so funny though we give him no grace because we don't know that he's on the spectrum or that you know he's possibly on the spectrum and then I was like he's acting exactly the way Max would act Mm -hmm. all about whatever he wants he's got tunnel vision you know that fascinates me to no end because it also makes me think does that mean that we should give people more grace just in general you know because we never know what's going on with them or does it mean that sometimes we almost give max too much grace and we don't hold him to high enough maybe standards or is it somewhere in the middle right like you know like do you know what i mean because yeah i that's a good point because if you expect too little of max is it an invitation for him to live down to those expectations which is not going to benefit him or anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've i always found Max kind of the hardest pill to swallow on this show. You, you know, even knowing his, also because I'm like, hold this kid accountable, like teach him something. Like you don't have to change the whole world to fit Max. Like Max has to be able to adapt somewhat to the world, you know? Yeah. And also having a son that's on the spectrum I know that it, each person can look entirely different, but like my son is so sweet and thoughtful and like, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I think you could do better, Max. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think that's so interesting. Well, and you know, something this is making me think of is even though anyone who's heard this podcast knows that I've been really hard on Hank, I kind of stand by the reasons I've been hard on Hank because when Crosby was hard on Hank in this episode, I really winced and I thought, oh, Crosby, that's terrible. Because he was like, he's weird and he doesn't make eye contact. You know, I felt like the things he was saying, I was like, you're just sounding really judgmental and kind of cruel. Even if you don't know, you're just talking about him not being very suave or something. I feel like my nitpicks were that he was like... (laughs) really mean, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't think anyone should be really mean, even though having this context really helps explain why. And I'm so glad he's examining it. I mean, even, even when he was reading the book and he like a couple episodes ago goes and talks to Sarah and he's like kind of having this revelation and he says, you know, I always thought my wife was just a, a bitch, but you know, it, maybe it was me. And I even thought, Ooh, your willingness and quickness to use the word bitch about someone anyone really, but like, you know, the mother of your child, someone you were involved with. (laughs) I I mean, I just thought, yeah, there are reasons why I sort of went, you know, like I I don't love that quality. Like I can't imagine Mark, either my husband, but I actually met Jason Ritter, you know, saying, I thought, you know, like he and Sarah broke up and it was terrible and it was Sarah's fault mostly. I can't imagine him saying (laughs) to the next person, yeah, Sarah was a real bitch. You know what I mean? I just can't imagine that. I believe it was royal bitch. (laughs) royal bitch yeah in fact better I think I think the meanest thing he ever said to Sarah was that she was a lousy fiance and then he felt so guilty about that that he like changed his plans and didn't go to his friend's wedding like so he could go apologize and so I'm just saying to what degree does being on the spectrum make you call someone a bitch like I'm I'm genuinely you know like and and that's something that Max called interesting I was gonna say that we both of our both of them have, have used that you know talking wow. about the women in their lives yeah Although even then when max did it it seemed i mean this is probably because he's a child even more so than the fact that he's autistic but it just seemed like he didn't even quite know what the word meant it was just like well here's a mean thing i can call her and i'm yeah. angry right now yeah whereas hank totally. said it i feel like with a little more presence of mind like <laughs> yeah well and in that moment he kind of tossed it off but that speaks to like, oh, it was right there at your fingertips. Yeah, like a you history. Searching for, okay, what's a word to describe my wife? Uh, royal bitch. <laughs> but and in a way, that's fair. It's like, well, there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Animosity. And maybe this is unfair. Maybe a lot of people are listening and thinking, well, I, I call people that, but I don't like it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think that there are certain terms that are really unfair. And, and anyway, I just, I think it's interesting. It makes me think, well, I, I don't think I would dismiss Hank for the reasons that Crosby did. I thought those were very, but maybe I just thought that because I knew, you know, and I was like seeing that scene through Adam's eyes where Adam was like, it might as Crosby may as well have been describing Max. Right. You know? He, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that scene. Cause I, I thought the exact same thing and was really fascinated by it. You invited Hank. Yes. Sarah's ex-boyfriend, Hank. Hank, Hank. Yeah. What? We're always looking for guys to invite to the poker game. Yeah. Normal guys. What is that supposed to mean? Look, I like Hank. Don't paint me out to be a bad guy for stating the obvious. Which is what? That he is a little weird. He doesn't make eye contact. He mumbles. He is not a good conversationalist. Minimally, we can Well, not everybody is a master of social interaction, Crosby. Okay. I'm not asking that he be a master of social interaction. I'm just saying he could be... 
not a freak and we could maybe all have Look, some beers Crosby, and some cigars. I invited him. You invite guys sex. all the time. Yes, I invite guys who get it. He gets it. He plays poker. He's coming. That's it. Deal with it. Whoa, hey, what, what are you so revved up about? He has been a godsend for Max, and I think that you could be a little nicer about including somebody who might be slightly different. That's all. That's my problem. I feel like the show is exploring this exact issue. How do characters, namely Adam, re-examine Hank and the way that he interacts with people once they have even just the possibility yeah. of this information available to them? And I thought this was a, a really interesting way of exploring Adam projecting Max's future mm -hmm. onto Hank. Yeah. And it was an, also an interesting flaw to show in Crosby's character because I thought it felt actually very natural that Crosby would say these things about Hank. But of course, Crosby would never say these things about Max. Right. But we know that Adam is now equating those two characters in a way that wouldn't occur to Crosby. So Crosby's not thinking that that could be hurtful to Adam. Right. And um, yeah, a little mindfulness yeah. would have helped him a lot. I was a little taken aback by him using the word freak. I was like, what? That was hardcore. I was like, yeah. I don't like, I just, yeah, I thought it was a little, I was kind of like, huh, like he may not be like your best bud or your, you know, like your other friends, but like, I didn't understand like, what's the big deal inviting him to poker night, but then I did watch poker night and he <laughs> did sort of shut it down. So <laughs> <laughs> then you're I was like, like, was this what you were worried about Crosby? Oh, okay. How could you possibly foresee something like that happening? And also Joel was, I like equally responsible yeah, that's for that. True. And no one called Joel a freak. I True. think Joel was just like, oh, good. Here's my out. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Joel was yeah. glad that Hank was at poker night. No, but that's a good point. Like, and, you know, even if Crosby could have foreseen it happening, it would have been interesting if he'd like used more neutral language. I'm not even saying he should have. I'm just saying it would have been a very different conversation that, where maybe Adam would have been like, oh, man, he makes a point as instead of being offended because that's what happens when you use offensive language people get offended right so if, if rightfully so if Crosby had said something like well I'm just picturing a scenario where he wants it done a certain way it can be pretty rigid you know and we like to just sort of go with the flow and do whatever we want I'm just wondering if his style like vibes with our style I feel like if he'd said that instead of he's not normal he's a freak you know <laughs> like I think Adam still would have been like, no, we should include him because he still would have been thinking of Max. But I think maybe then Adam would be thinking ahead to like, oh, how do we make sure that Max vibes with other people? Because, you know, just last time was it that, you know, he and Micah, they stopped being friends because he was so harsh with Micah. So I think that would have been fresh yeah. in Adam's head. And he would have been like, OK, how do we help Max so that people don't have this reaction someday to him as an adult, the way that Crosby's having to, to Hank, but since Crosby was so over the top, you know, instead you're just like, God, you're a jerk, which he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it had been more nuanced, Adam could have been torn about, am I angry at him because he really said something offensive or am I angry with him because I'm reading into mm -hmm. what he's saying with my own perspective, which is the father of a child I'm worried is going to be held at a distance from these kinds of relationships because he's not as suave. Oh. And I, you know, after the game, I think Adam probably wouldn't say that he enjoyed Hank's company. Right. So in a little, in a little way, I think he was confronted there by, 
oh, as much as I may want this for Max, it's not going to be easy. Right. Even if he does have a chance at a pretty full life that Hank does seem to have. You know, a couple years ago, I remember I taught this essay called A Plague of Ticks by David Sedaris. And it was about David Sedaris having like OCD and Tourette's as a kid. And it was, I mean, it's a brilliant essay. It's both really funny. And I think it's actually supposed to be funny, but it's one of those things where you're like, am I supposed to laugh at this? You know, like it's (laughs) kind of uncomfortable. And it's also really deep and insightful. Anyway, I remember the class came back after having read it. And this student who I really, really like, I mean, he was very popular and very like, I think a lot of things came easily for him, you know, uh, well-liked, suave, because <laughs> apparently I'm using that word. And I was a little taken aback because his reaction was, he was like, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, he's just not normal. Is And that's what he said. Before I could like sort of stop him, like I, I, I could tell he was going in that direction. I'm like, no. And there was a, 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 another male student across the way who literally just started very quietly crying and it broke my heart. And it was because he had related to this essay. And I think that he was maybe even going to share that with the class, but then this first student shut, shut that discussion right down and it broke my heart, but then it did turn into a good talk where we were all talking about why we shouldn't say things like he's just not normal, you know, and why we should give grace and, and try to understand why people are, the way they are and you know like maybe not make assumptions like I made the assumption that Hank was just a misogynist and a jerk and he may actually be those things but he's not only those things like you know and and it's it's interesting and I don't know if this makes any sense at all but like maybe that wasn't exactly Hank's cup of tea either yeah you know what I mean like and maybe the definition of living a full life by Adam's standards doesn't mean doing all the things that Adam does. Yeah. Right. Like maybe Hank's got a group of people that get him. Yeah. And those are the people that he hangs out with. He doesn't have to be suave with those people. He can be himself and be, you know, accepted. I love the idea of pushing and branching out and like including, but you know. Well, I think that's why Max and Hank have a good friendship. I think they both feel like they can be themselves around each other without having to worry about people getting bent out of shape about how blunt they are or how honest they are. Even when Max had a tantrum at Hank's business, Hank wasn't mad at him. Mm -mm. He was concerned. He wanted to make sure he was okay. But then when they're like, oh, can Max come back? He's like, yeah, yeah, I like the kid. Yeah. It wasn't he he didn't seem bothered by it. And it's like maybe that's because they understand each other and it would be a relief to you know have your understood. circle of people who you can just be yourself around. I'm also remembering when Max says that he likes Hank better than his Aunt Sarah. And I don't think he says that to be mean. I think he's just saying it like matter of factly, like, well, I like you better than Sarah. And he's like, and Hank, to his credit, is just like, "Eh, well, (laughs) you know, like, I think think most people would say to Max, now she's your aunt and we shouldn't say these things out loud. Hank's just like, well, you're being honest and I appreciate that. And also, I feel like no one likes me better than Sarah. So thank you. (laughs) anyway well i loved the scene when adam and christina were discussing like oh maybe max will be like hank but they are comparing max's possibilities in the future 
against their own ideas of mm. what a full life would be. Hank stopped by the office the other day to drop off this Bob Dylan photograph that he took. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that, that's not so nice. what I'm going to tell you, though. Then he asked me for Dr. Pelican's phone number. Okay, did something happen with Max? Well, no, that's what I asked him, but then he said it's for another matter. Another matter, yeah, and you're and just I'm telling me. Yeah, I'm guessing the other matter has got to be him, right? Hey. Hey, wait a second. What? You think he has... What? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, he's quirky. He's very quirky. Right? Socially awkward. He's very focused. You know, he's... he'll talk to Max about lenses for hours. Hours. Exposures hours. for hours. Cameras for hours. Hours. Yeah, I know. But like that bugs. doesn't mean he has... No, but I can't help but think that if he does, then maybe Max could turn out to be like him. It's not so bad. No. Hank's had a business. He's yeah. had relationships. Failed relationships. Well, he's had them. He's had them. It's your sister. Yeah, well. Yeah. That was okay. He's got a daughter. He has a daughter. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. but they don't get along. He's a father. Well, she exists. She does exist. When I look at that, that's a pretty bright future for Max. Hmm. So. Are we? What? Hoping that he has Asperger's. No. No, of course not. That would, I mean, maybe on some level. That would be unbelievable. That would be good. And listening to this now, having just talked about extending grace to people, I do think there's an argument to be made that they are measuring Max's future against their own idea of what would be good. But also when they say like, well, he has a daughter, well, she exists, that could be less like Max's life won't be full unless he has a daughter and more about their concerns and fears for him. Like, oh, will he just not even have the option of having kids because no one will ever be close enough to him for that to be a possibility? And of course you would want your child to have the option open to them of like, maybe he could get married. Maybe he could have kids. That doesn't mean his life will be empty if he chooses not to do those things, but it's the choosing that I want to be possible for him. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I just loved that scene. I loved hearing their kind of unvarnished opinions <laughs> of another character. Yeah. And that if they were overheard, it might seem like, oh, you wouldn't want someone to hear you say that. But between the two of them in their own house, I'm like, that's it's not mean, it's not mean spirited. And and how certain traits in one context, you might go, oh, you know, Crosby can use them as like, why would we want this guy to play poker? But in this context, it's if that's what's open and possible for Max, great. That's great news. It's also really interesting, Juliet, you made me think of this. They are measuring their ideas of happiness in such a like, I don't even know what the word is. I, I want to say like typical, quote unquote, normal way, right? And it's because they've found success that way. They have the kind of family that probably most people hope to have, but it's very straight and middle class and suburban and, you know, the the woman was stayed home for most of it. And, you know, it, it just makes me think like, I think Hank has a far better life than they are making it sound. But perhaps from their, you know, their perspective, we can only see things sometimes through our own limited perspective. It doesn't seem as great as theirs. So it's like, oh, it's good. It's not ideal it's not what maybe Hattie will have but it's it's it ex she exists you know and so I mean that's I think it's pretty condescending but I also think it's very human and you're right Caleb that they are just 
together. I mean, we probably do this all the time with the people we trust most. We say things that we'd be mortified if someone heard us say. So it reminded me of some review of the show where they were talking specifically about family. And they said one of the things that family members do most often is talk about other family members with each other. <laughs> yeah. And this made me think of that because I thought it is true. And I, in some ways, I think it doesn't happen very often on this show. You don't have two characters saying what they think about another character. But this was an example of, oh, what, what do you guys think about Hank? And it's a mixture of, well, we really like him. And, you know, if our son's life is like his, then that will be great. And also he's really quirky and socially awkward and all of his relationships have failed and he doesn't get along with his dog. You know, it's all of that at once. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying, Melissa, like, I think whenever you have experiences or ideas and you value them and you feel like that's your definition of a full life and you just can't help but like Mm. wish the same. It's almost like this ice cream is amazing. You have to try it. And someone be like, no, no, that. I don't want to know. You've got to try it. Like, just try it. You know, like, <laughs> want them to have that experience because you're so happy with that experience. You know, I think it was something along those lines. And I once had someone tell me, like, I haven't lived a full life because I haven't done drugs. Oh, I like, and I was like, culturally, like out of it or something. And I was just like, dude, like there's so many people in the world that that's not like a part of their, like, it's, it's not a requirement for like, I don't know, like, I just thought that was a little funny, but. That's so funny. I've had people say the same things to me and it doesn't faze me at all. That's how little interest I have. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> whatever, you do you. And yet your analogy of the ice cream, which I think is so great, that is probably the biggest reason I want to have children. As I was growing up, I just always assumed, yeah, I think I want to have kids. And as I'm getting older, I'm thinking, maybe I don't actually want to have them or feel like I need to have them. But if you were to ask me, well, what's the biggest like thing on the pro having kids side? I think it's that ice cream feeling of like, well, everyone's telling me this flavor of ice cream is like <laughs> life changing. <laughs> and I only get one life. Yeah. Am I just gonna not even try the flavor? I, you know, <laughs> that's Caleb, I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, and I don't know if I think that's a great reason to try that ice cream. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not very meaningful. I don't know. I just love that analogy. I have a weird opinion where I think, okay, and this is probably way too simplified. So get that out of the way. But I tend to think that life is what you make of it. Uh, it's cheesy, but I really do think that. And so, yeah, I think that probably having kids really would be life-changing and wonderful for you, Caleb, because I think you would make it into something really special and good. And I also think that if it, you don't end up having children, you will still make your life special and good. And so I think it's more like that because I know a lot of miserable people who have kids and miserable people who don't and happy people who do and happy people who don't. And so I, I do tend to think that it's sort of like, what are you going to do with that? You know? And yeah. yeah. And when people tell me like that I'm missing out on something because I don't have kids, I, I don't even think they're wrong. I think I am missing out on something, but I think that's an incomplete puzzle piece. I think I'm also getting stuff that other people don't get to have because they're making sacrifices that I don't have to make. And I try to like make the most of my life because I don't have kids because I don't want to just do nothing with all this time that I have, you know, and just waste yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. that's a great point. Thank you. And I'm just endlessly fascinated by 
people are different and certain things that tempt people don't tempt other people. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm missing something by not doing drugs. It doesn't lose me <laughs> one second of sleep. I'm right. like, yeah, but I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm just not going to. And if I ever feel differently, maybe I will. Yeah. But as of now. <laughs> Steady as she goes. <laughs> also, depending on the drugs that you do, <laughs> if you do them and then you stop doing them and your big takeaway is that really enhanced my life, then I'd say you had a really exceptionally positive drug experience because some people yeah. don't, you know, they just die or something. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying like for some people, they just become addicted and, and it makes their lives hard. But, you know, maybe that person was talking mushrooms and, you know, for you, Juliet, I don't know. And that probably would have been fine. <laughs> maybe they weren't like, Juliet, you got to try heroin. You haven't lived. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I do want to say before we change this topic, though, that Juliet, when you gave that ice cream analogy, I just kept thinking about, was it our very first fight ever? <laughs> We were tiny children and we were at this, um, well, at the mall deli back when it had like a bar and we were drinking chocolate milk at the bar and I just felt very grown up and I wanted another chocolate milk and I thought it would be very cool to order for Juliet. So I did. I was like, I'll have another chocolate milk. And so will she. But Juliet didn't want another chocolate I, well, milk. I was afraid. I was like, I have no money of my own and I cannot guarantee like who's going to pay for this and like like I was really like I don't have clearance for this <laughs> like, um, I was like six years old probably yeah I was like five feeling like an adult and just ordering for Juliet and it didn't even occur to me the practicalities of I had no money I was just like this is a real cool move ordering us this <laughs> all I know is the the, the the mall deli trip ended with just both of us <laughs> sobbing and yeah. our mothers like carrying us out of the mall deli. We're just like, she doesn't understand. No, she doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. It's funny the things though, just on the same subject, the things that we do do that with and the things that we don't, because Melissa, you're not like, you should be a teacher. Like you should try teaching. Like you're missing out. Like all the kids' lives that I get to be in touch with and the creativity and the relationships. Like you have an understanding that that's not everybody's path. Yeah. You know? I like to think I have learned since I was five that maybe not what I want is what everyone wants. But I also know what it's like because so many people have told me I should have kids. More people have told me that than I should do drugs. So I, it's funny. I wonder who I'm hanging out with. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but, um, but yeah, I think it just... I somehow get like, well, you know, maybe some people would love being a teacher. I do. If people ever ask me, what should I do with my life? I have no idea. I usually do say, have you thought about teaching? Because that's the only thing I know to suggest. I'm like, I don't know what any other job is like. Caleb, would you be like, have you tried playing on Broadway? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was sitting here contemplating, this is maybe morbid, but, you know, the idea of what are you going to do with your life? We all have a certain number of years right. and like there's at least a ballpark like, you know, it's for most people, it's probably between like 70 and 100 somewhere in there. What are you going to do with all that time? Yeah. And you just got to find something to pass the time. Yeah. And like, I feel like I've heard, I think it was Stephen King say, or maybe he wrote it in a book. It's like, you know, one thing I'll say for writing, it passes the time. Whoa. <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, I mean, whatever you do, it's just going to be filling up some of this time. So how do you want to fill it? And Anyway, 
That's kind of a weird thought. No, that's interesting. I think it's really interesting. And it's like, well, I'm going to pass my time playing the piano yeah. for people making music. And sometimes that feels like a really noble calling. And then other times it feels like a really silly diversion. Mm. And I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of both of them. And <laughs> its significance probably lies somewhere in between a lot of the time. And You know... Something that I'm now realizing about both Hank and Max that might be good. And I don't know if it's a result of being on the spectrum or if it's a result of just like who they are. But I don't think either of them ever questions how they spend their time or if what what they have chosen to do is valuable. I mean, I think Hank is starting to reflect in ways he hasn't before and I think in ways that are really good but it's not like he's like should I have never become a photographer it's not like he's saying am I no good at my job he knows there's value in that and what he does and you know I think and I wasn't gonna say I I loved when he was talking with Dr. Pelican about tenacity that he said his wife called it tenacious and then later on she called it bulldog yeah but I I thought Tenacious was a great word to use because it can be negative or positive. And I think he probably is a good photographer because of his tenacity. Like, I don't think Hank would have stopped until he was a great photographer. Yeah. And if he has Asperger's or whatever you call it, maybe that's why. I mean, Max knew every single fact there was to know about bugs. Mm -hmm. That's because he was tenacious. Yeah. And so that's great. But also, if he can't drop an issue when it needs to be dropped because he's too tenacious, well, that's going to interfere. And that felt very balanced. And like, yeah, that could end a marriage and it could also build a successful career. Wow. <laughs> wow. Or lose you some jobs and Sarah gets it. Yeah. Because she, you know. Is that the word tenacious that Hattie told Max he was and then he uses it in his speech to win? Also, I'm very tenacious. It means being very persistent. Wow. Look at that. There you go. Now, if this weren't a scripted television show, that would be a hell of a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) But still, it's kind of interesting. And I had not made that connection until we were talking. So it's interesting. Juliet, please feel free not to answer this if it's too personal, but the people in your life who recently took that test, would you describe either or both of them as tenacious? And if so... Do either of their names start with a D? Because that seems like <laughs> tenacious D. an opportunity just presenting itself yeah. for a new nickname. Neither of them starts with D. And like I would say they might be tenacious with specific things that they're very interested in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that they're very, I feel like that might be a trait that's oh, yeah. common among yeah. um, people on the spectrum is like they will, if they have, like my son is so into electricity and he wants to be an electrician. Oh, cool. Like he collects outlets. Like he used to collect outlets. Like people would collect baseball cards. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. and he wanted to learn everything he could about it, you know? So in that manner, I think one of the people is very tenacious. And I'm not sure about the other one because I just don't know them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a great quality. I really, that's, in fact, some people feel the opposite of that, right? Like sort of listless or like they wish they could be motivated more. And so, I mean, it's making me think all the way back to when Wayne was on in the qualities and difficulties episode about how Adam couldn't see anything positive about this, you know, at the time. And he thought that telling Max that there were qualities and difficulties was like a lie. It was like sugarcoating. But I think 
no, it's true. It's absolutely it's true. true. Yeah. I think it's also just true because they're people. Right. People, people have yeah. qualities. We all have qualities and difficulties. That's, <laughs> that's very true. You're so right. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'll mention within this storyline is that the character of Will, who if you don't know him, he was the fifth white guy at the poker game. Oh, yeah. I knew that actor. <laughs> the character's name is Will. And Will was the lead character of a new series from Jason Kadams called About a Boy, mm -hmm. based on the film and the novel by Nick Hornby, which would premiere about a month after this episode aired, which was just after the 2014 Winter Olympics ended. Wow. Now, Dax Shepard would guest star in two episodes of About a Boy as Crosby. Oh, in character. cool. Because About a Boy was set in San Francisco. Okay. Crossover. So these two shows were going to exist in the same universe. And so this, it's not just the lead actor from About a Boy. He is, in theory, playing the character from About a Boy. And it was like a little crossover. Okay. Promo. That I did not know. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I knew it was that actor. And I know him from New Girl, but it's not like he was playing his character on New ah. Girl. Okay. <laughs> now, oh, the yeah. series About a Boy would ultimately only last two seasons. That's too bad. I loved the movie. I never saw the show. It's part of it's partly my I never my... saw the show either. Co-starred Minnie Driver. Yeah, I love I don't her. I think I've seen either. The movie's great. Like and probably so was the show and it's our fault. Wait, who's the in the movie who's opposite of Minnie Driver? Who's the Oh, um in the movie it's Hugh Grant. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Um who else is it? Uh Tony Collette. Oh, I like Tony Collette. Oh, and Rachel Weiss, I think. And a young Nicholas Holt. Oh, yeah. Holt. That's right. I just know he's the kid that ended up being on the show The Great, which is a great show. Yeah. And I know that he's the one who Jennifer Lawrence was taking photos of herself for because they were in a serious relationship when they got leaked. And it's a really horrible thing that those photos got leaked. Let's just... Such a violation. Anyway. Wow, we did a nice, a lot of travel there. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we did. Well, speaking of travel. Nice. Camille is back home in this episode. So good. Her return felt bittersweet somehow. And I didn't understand why. And I'm just talking about that first scene when she comes into the living room and the whole family's there. She seemed a little like, eh, mm -hmm. welcome everyone. Like, what was that about? Was it just like... After you've traveled from Italy to the west coast of North America, maybe you don't want 20 people in your living room. Oh, Or yeah. was it something <laughs> deeper or more existential? I feel like it's probably something deeper. What I noticed in that scene was, you know, she hugged everybody. Everyone hugged her. I thought everything was good. And then the kids are like, what'd you bring us? And then she pulled out her treats and they all just kind of like went into attack mode. And then I felt like, is this one of those? And maybe this is just me projecting, but I was like, is she just feeling like, oh, yeah, like they're just basically happy for the treats? You know, where's her like connection for her? Like, where's the, you know, I mean, I think they were definitely they were happy that she was back. But I just kind of got that feeling like, are they happy that she's back because she's her? Or are they happy that she's back for what they what she does for them? Yeah, <laughs> which is sort of, I think, encapsulates everything that she <laughs> feels about like did did Zeke really miss her or did he miss having his laundry done and his meals cooked? Dinner cooked. Yeah. yeah. Like I even noticed, I mean, it was sweet that he said, well, I'm taking you out to dinner, Millie. But I thought, but you have to because there's no food in the fridge and 
you didn't think to buy any while she was gone for the last month, you know, like, you know, like, wouldn't that have been a nice thing to have, you know, it's fine. People are who they are, but it is interesting. Like the world just stops, you know, he goes to that diner to get food once she's no longer there to, to cook it. I also, I was like holding my head in pain that he was taking her out for Italian. Mm. I thought, Zeke, don't do that. Because either you're trying to be like, see, we have Italian food too. (laughs) Or even if he wasn't thinking that, even if it was like in celebration of her return, we're going to go out for Italian. It's not going to be as good as what she had in Italy. (laughs) I I don't know. I just like, there's no way in which this is the best (laughs) restaurant to go to. Unless maybe they had a connection with it before like maybe that's where they go on every big anniversary or something so it, it has seen it but they didn't tell us that i just to me it seemed like a kind of pathetic attempt on zeke's behalf to show her that well you're not actually missing anything if you just stay here and still have italian food <laughs> <laughs> it does make me wonder like to what degree are things that are meant to be sweet kind of signs that Zeke doesn't get it, you know, like inviting the entire family over. Like, you know, if you do travel to another country, you're exhausted when you get home. And it certainly doesn't make him a jerk. I think it's a lovely gesture, but it does mean, I think, that he often only sees it how, like what he would want, you know, Like, like the expression, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. I've heard people say, oh, actually, that's not it. You should treat people the way they want to be treated. And I think that's probably true. And I think Zeke often treats Camille how Zeke would like to be treated, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Can we talk about her European glow up? Oh. Like her make, did you guys not notice like a total, like she was va va boom in this on her, like her hair was different. Her makeup was I did wonder at a certain point, I was like, it almost looks like she's wearing a wig. Oh, yeah. But I didn't know. I mean, it was maybe just a different style. Yeah. I thought she looked wonderful. I she did, too. She looked terrific. And I think it would make sense for her to come back looking beautiful, I think, is a cool thing story-wise. Because, like, not only is Zeke like, oh, I really missed having her around. She also looks amazing. Maybe yeah, she's flourishing. Yes. And that is so important to the story. Like she feels great, looks great, maybe is just better rested than when she's at home taking care of everybody and being sort of taken for granted. You know, like it's a really interesting thing. Yeah, I think it made sense. Like, what can we do to make her look the best she's ever looked? I just I felt like she got like a European makeover. They were like, oh, let us, Camille, let us do your, she's surrounded by artists. They're like, oh, let me take you to my salon. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And was it this episode or was it one of the like Skype calls she had with Zeke where she had sunglasses on? Yeah. That she had never worn before. And it's like, that looked very European. Too. Yes. Well, it was interesting how she kept just using like Italian words. <laughs> you know, I'm like, she is in some kind of world, you know, like she, this trip was life changing for her. Like for some people, it yeah. would just be a trip. And for her, it was much more than that. Which I believe. Me too. And it's something, the the beginning of their scene at the restaurant when she says, I was standing at the Palazzo <laughs> de Comunale and whatever. And it's like, oh my gosh, this laying it on really thick and I was just contemplating the grandiosity of the world 
But then I thought back to my first time out of the country, which was to Italy. I had a similar feeling while I was there, not about the grandiosity of the world, but just the size. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was more about the mundane things because it was not when I was standing somewhere beautiful. It was when I was standing on just a little side street and there were lots of cars parked and like apartment buildings. And it occurred to me, well, this is just a normal street where people are just living their lives. And this is the life they wake up to every day. Mm -hmm. And their regular street that they don't even think about. It's just where they live. And this has been here the entire time I've been alive. And much longer before that. And this is just one city in this whole country, which is just one country on this whole continent, which is just one continent on this whole planet. And, and suddenly it's like, oh, my God, the world is so much bigger mm. than the parts of it that I am familiar with. Yeah. And that's always existing no matter when or where I am. And that's what struck me. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't so corny that she's saying this over dinner because I think like I had a it wasn't exactly the same, but it was very similar. Oh, yeah. Well, and Julia, you're the like probably biggest world traveler of anyone I know. Have you ever had a feeling like that? Or do you remember? I mean, you weren't born in the US, right? You were like like so like right. you can't yeah, like <laughs> I mean, you were a baby when you lived here, but like I'm just saying your first time out of the country, you don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah yeah like there's so many trips like that I've been on it's just like wow I'm always actually really grateful for it I'm like oh I'm so glad there's in like a I'm glad for the similarities but I'm also glad that there's differences like in cultures and things like I'm just like oh it's so refreshing to be like <laughs> surrounded by like something entirely different you know yeah so. Well, and you've like lived in other countries. Like, I mean, I don't, you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to, but I mean, I think it's fascinating. Like you've lived in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe and Tanzania. That's amazing. Yeah, those are the ones I've, I could say I've lived in for yeah. any amount of time. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. And just. It is amazing. <laughs> You're the amazing. The world is an amazing place. The grandiosity of the world. <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> I mean, I get it. It is an amazing place. And, and if you're out of the country for the first time, like you yeah you like your mind kind of is like whoa it's blown you know like yeah yeah well let's discuss the rest of that scene at the restaurant and that's the other thing about going away you realize that life just goes on without you you're not really needed oh come on honey you are so needed well no i don't mean it in a bad way it's it's liberating it means i can go away again again you're gonna you're going away again? Well, the class is taking a trip to France in three months in April. Three months? I know this is a big change for us. And I understand why you don't want to sell the house. I really do. But I'm not ready to give up my dream. I'm just not. Because it's my dream. And um, I thought about it a lot when I was away. And I, I figured out that if I work at the studio part-time, I could probably make about $300 a week, which means at the end of three months, I would have enough to cover most of the cost of the trip. Well, there, it's Okay, well, you got it all figured out, and that's good. Yeah. Something that struck me in their scene that hadn't before 
is that I feel like Zeke must be wondering what Camille gets from being with him. Mm. What does he give her? You know, it's very obvious what he gets from her. (laughs) And we joke about the like, well, she cooks him dinner and she does his laundry and and I know that none of us think that's all he gets from her. I know I mean, he genuinely loves her and yeah. gets emotional support from her as well. But the other things are not insignificant. But what does she get from him? And I think he must be wondering that as well. It reminded me of a song from the musical Funny Girl called Who Are You Now? And the first line of that song is, Who are you now, now that you're mine? Are you something more than you were before? And the last line is, are you someone better for my love? Hmm. And it would be a horrible feeling, I think, to think I'm getting so much out of this marriage and you're not. I'm not enough. You have to go travel and I just sit back here and miss you. Well, there was a podcast episode that I listened to recently, your podcast, (laughs) where someone said in every relationship, there's a gardener and a and a flower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Zeke has always been the flower, right? Maybe. And, this, oh, yeah. and yeah. then Camille has been the gardener. And I think she has defined a lot of her life by being needed. She says, I'm not needed, you know, like, and now it's not being defined as much by need as by her wants. You're so right. Now it's Zeke's turn to support her. And that's what he could be giving her. Yeah. And I think he's trying, like, he's like, oh, you've got it all figured out. I don't think that's his genuine sentiment. I think he's like, oh my God, she's leaving again. Like, and I do kind of find it a little bit, like I understood like the first time her just kind of being like, yep, this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, but to so quickly again, like it's almost to me, at least a little bit like she's acting like she's not in a relationship where there's a conversation about this at all. Like, because I think she's learned it. There's That's no a dead end. Yeah. Uh, maybe so. Maybe when she presents it that way, then it's a no go. But yeah, I was like a little bit taken aback by that. I think he was definitely not happy about it, but he was trying to be supportive. But did he think that she was going to go on one trip and then that itch would be scratched forever? Like, I don't, to me, that seems naive. Although I believe of all yeah, the characters I totally... on the show, it's like, <laughs> yeah, he might have thought that. But that's, in my opinion, a very naive belief. And this Italian dinner is not making up for it. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I was so thought, uh, you know, when she went originally without him, I thought, well, this is because they had an argument. And it's, if I can't go with your blessing, if I can't sell the house, if we can't have this new chapter, then I'll just, do, I'll go my way, you go yours, and but we'll stay together. But now I, what struck me in this scene was the cost emotionally to Zeke of that of just feeling irrelevant. Like, oh, we are married, but like you said, it's like, are we even in a relationship? Do you need me for anything? And does she? I mean, I believe she genuinely loves him too, but what does he give her that she can't live without? I think this is so compelling. And I think the reason is, I, was, I don't know what made me do this. I almost never do this, but I was like looking stuff up about this episode and I, I was surprised to see that on like message boards in 2014 when it aired, people were really furious at Camille. They thought she was being really selfish. You know, they were like, Whoa. they were like, you know, yeah, you're acting like you're not married. And I actually see that because I, I, this is not how I would broach it in my own relationship. You know, I would not be like, see ya. Oh, I'm back, but see ya again. But I think I just keep thinking, but they don't have a normal relationship. 
I think that it's been like this, but in reverse, their entire relationship. And in fact, what Zeke wanted in the past wasn't necessarily travel, but like to be with someone else. I mean, we haven't talked about that in a long time and maybe it's not really relevant to bring up here, but these things don't always just die. You know, they don't always just get settled. Like, did we, you know, when Zeke just played that song on his ukulele and then they didn't get divorced, <laughs> you know, I, I know they went to counseling and everything. And I know he learned to say, I, I hear you when I see you, but then he kind of stopped, right? Because she was saying, I want to sell the house. And he refused to even engage in a conversation. And then when he did go look at a house, it was very lackluster. He didn't really mean it. And I wonder if she's just so resentful she could spit, you know, if <laughs> she's just like wondering the same thing Caleb's wondering, what am I getting out of this? Um, I know what I used to get out of it, but I'm feeling stuck and I told my partner what I wanted and he wouldn't even listen. I can just get what I want. And I, I wonder if it's like, I see that it's definitely scaring Zeke. I wonder if it almost scares her a little too. And like, the thing that would scare her maybe is that it doesn't scare her as much as she, as as she might have thought. You know, like Zeke's like straight up terrified. What would he do without her? He's had a month to figure that out and he doesn't like it. She had a month to figure it out and she did. She wants yeah. more of it when she gets home. And so tricky. And what I find so interesting about her attitude is I don't get the sense that she's doing this out of spite at all. It's just sort of the arrangement that she has discovered actually works for her. Like, you know, if you'll just stay here and let me go off and do my thing and we'll still be married and that works for us, then fine. That's what I'll do. Yeah. I think what would be interesting then is what would she do if she met someone and fell in love with them? Like, gosh, that didn't even I think she, to me. Like I said, I think she loves Zeke. Certainly they have so much history and have built a life together. But at this point, he is a little bit of an obstacle to be managed. I kept like, thinking the word roadblock and, to her happiness. That's yeah. Wow. And what she's figured out is, oh, I can just sort of set the roadblock to the side and go around it. But I don't know. Then what happens when she's off in France or something? And meets a guy who thinks she's great and wants to contribute to her happiness, not just stay out of the be way. willing to stay out of the way. <laughs> you know, then I think it would be a real problem. And I don't know if Zeke is thinking that far ahead, but it, it is the flaw of this arrangement is that each partner is not feeling fully valued. I'm rambling now, but it, no, no. I don't blame her for it because it. I don't think this is how she wants things to be going. I think it's just how she has... It's the solution she's arrived at. Yeah. Well, this is the way she's able to go on the trip. Yeah. You stay home and you're not mad. Okay, fine. I'm not mad. I guess this is working. I might want to revisit asking Zeke, like, do you want to come with me? Yeah. <laughs> like you said no last time, but what about this time? What I really wish would happen is he would say, you know, this, your trip to Italy sounded so incredible. Do you think it'd be possible that I could come with you on this trip to France? I think Camille's reaction to that would be elation. <laughs> I don't think she'd be like, no, let me have my thing. I mean, maybe she would, and maybe that would be fine. But like I said, I don't get the sense that she's doing this to spite him. Yeah. I think if he wanted to be involved in this, she would welcome that. But he has shown no sign of that. 
So she's just like, well, with you or without you, I'm not going to deprive myself of this experience just because you want me to be here cooking dinner. Do you think he does have any interest in going? Like, like, is she making an assumption and she should ask? Or is it more his responsibility to, you know, because Juliet said maybe she should say, do you want to go? And Caleb said maybe Zeke should speak up and ask if he could go. And I'm like, what an interesting, like, communication <laughs> issue that is. Because neither of them is saying either of those things. And so I don't know whose responsibility it would be. But surely after all this time together, you would think one of them would broach it. And does that just mean they're pretty far gone if they can't have a conversation like that and they're just making their assumptions about each other right well Zeke hasn't expressed his true feelings yet about any of this I think she's kind of just put it all out there pretty matter of fact but right now I feel like they are really needing a connection mm-hmm. for their marriage yeah. and I think Zeke is in his mind doing what he thinks is the right thing to do to be supportive and to like still be with her like look I'm taking you to an Italian restaurant like <laughs> yeah. you know bless his heart he's doing he you know this is his... I'm letting you go to the exhibit and I'm not making you feel bad right yeah. exactly said, have fun like he I'm sure he would love to like but she's she's off and running you know and so he might also be feeling like if he really is feeling like am I still wanted on this yeah. trip am I still wanted in your life like yeah and he's a guy I mean not to you know sometimes they have a harder time like being expressive of what's really yeah. going on so or being vulnerable being vulnerable exactly so i mean i think i definitely fall more on the the side of he should say something because mm-hmm. i agree with what you just said juliet that i feel like she has pretty much laid all her cards on the table mm-hmm. i mean it would be really nice of her to check back in and say would you want to come on this trip but i understand why she wouldn't because i mean i guess she didn't explicitly invite him on the last one either But that sprang out of she had expressed a desire to travel and he just said, absolutely not. I've seen the world. I'm not so interested. I just want to say, well, I haven't. Yeah. So I get why she wouldn't. And I I feel like she's not hiding anything. But you're right. He hasn't said what he's felt about her being away, which I do think to give him some credit, I do think extends well beyond my meals weren't as good and my laundry wasn't done. I, I think he missed more about her than just that. But then it's like, well, then Zeke, then you got to man up and say it. And, you know, this is one of the rare times where I feel like I do feel some empathy for Zeke because sometimes he's a character who drives me crazy, too. And I'm like, oh, you're so selfish. But I think, gosh, what is he supposed to do? Because I think I'd be criticizing him if he were saying, well, I didn't like that you were gone and I don't want you to go again. So I guess I do give him credit for trying. But then I'm like but he's kind of lying to her and that breeds resentment. And so I'm genuinely curious, what's he supposed to do if he wishes she wouldn't travel, but knows he shouldn't feel that way? Should he really just be like, you know what? I'm going to go outside my comfort zone and I'm going to go with her at least once and try. Or would that be the equivalent of going to see that condo? And he would just be like dampening her experience because he'd be grumbling the whole time he she wouldn't be you know like oh the grandiosity of everything because he would be like god it's hot and you have to pay a euro to go to the bathroom (laughs) and you know like I just wonder what to do with all of that and I also think it's interesting because I might have a different opinion if they were at the start of their marriage rather than the end because I might be like well this isn't sustainable what are you doing you know like she would have responsibilities But I think that's sort of the whole point, 
she doesn't have any responsibilities unless you count being there physically and emotionally for her husband, which I suppose is also a responsibility if you're in a marriage. It almost makes me think, should they be in the marriage? Right. And that's maybe a terrible thing to say. I'm certainly not saying, oh, that's it. They should get divorced. But I am saying I could see where this could lead to a conversation. It's something I feel coming from him in that scene, or like you said, on the message boards. It's like, well, what is their marriage now if this is what they're doing? If they just spend weeks apart and don't need each other around. And I don't know. I was thinking as you were saying that maybe there's a middle ground. This doesn't feel like a... um, (laughs) a grand plan for their relationship. But in terms of the France trip, if Zeke doesn't really have any interest in going, but doesn't like feeling completely irrelevant, maybe he could say, could I come with you for part of the trip? Like you're there to actually do something, which is work on your art and study. And I don't want to intrude on all of that, but I do miss you while you're away. And I would love to experience some of this with you. But I think someone, one of us, it's nice when we're back here and if the kids need us, if the grandkids need us, someone's here. So maybe I come with you for a week and then you stay on for the rest of the month and I come back. Yeah. We've had part of it, but it's also for you and I don't know. Some sort of compromise. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a compromise for this one instance, but I don't know if that's a marriage strategy. But maybe it could be. Like that could... That could set a precedent for like how, you know, like true for a new way forward, new traditions, new, you know, like it's like they're kind of afraid to really or maybe he's just afraid to really talk about things. I don't know. This is fascinating. This is way more interesting to me than actually watching the episode. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe this. he's afraid to bring it up if he is insecure about like if he voices, I'm getting way more out of this marriage than you are. Is it like, well, once it's said... You're right. (laughs) Yeah, like, is she going to disagree with him? Right, I think he's in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, so maybe he feels like, if I bring this up, it's the last Jenga block pulled out of the (laughs) tower and it just all comes down. Whoa. Maybe she hasn't noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she thinks that we are putting equal effort into this thing. (laughs) Don't say anything. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, so many things in this episode, everything in this episode practically, feels like the middle step of a story that was already going on. Like Mm -hmm. Hank already suspected that maybe he was on the spectrum and Camille was just on the trip and now she's coming back. Drew and Natalie Mm. are in the middle of this little story and now Amy's a part of it as well. The first thing I want to mention is not dramatic, But Natalie says that their astronomy class is going to Grizzly Peak, which is a real place. It's a summit in the Berkeley Hills, and it is directly behind the Cal campus, like very, very close to the point that when Drew then says they're spending the night in a hotel rather than come back, I'm like, um... I looked this up on Google. It looks like you're like less than five miles from your dorm. <laughs> why, would you not, why would you not just go back and sleep in your own bed? Oh, so anyway. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> to me, the biggest development in this storyline, this episode, was Amy explaining a little bit of what she's really doing there in Berkeley. I'm worried about you, you know. I've been missing a lot of class. 
can't go back. To Tufts? What do you mean? I hate it there. I mean, the girls are snobby and cold, and the weather's depressing, and everyone is so smart. So are you. Yeah, well, not like them. And my roommate is awful to me. Yes, the roommate thing is difficult. I understand. Let's... Look at that poster. <laughs> at least yours talks to you. Mine doesn't even say hello to me. She acts like I don't exist. Switch roommates. You don't understand. I started to feel alone, like, like scary alone. So you're not gonna go back? I can't, I can't go back. Because the one thing that got me out of that scary alone place was you. You're the only thing that makes sense to me right now. You're kind of all I have. Did you two interpret scary alone as suicidal? I did. I didn't. I just took it as very, like, it's serious. Like, she's not surviving. She's not thriving where she is. My mind went to suicide, but I felt like even if not literally that, what you said, Julia, and it's like, well, the end of that path is that. And to me, it really deepened what she was doing. It was like, oh, this is not just homesickness or, yeah. oh, it's so comfortable to be back where I understand. Like, that she's afraid of what might happen if she had to go back, which my heart just went out to her. Yeah. I wondered if there was more to what was going on than what she said or if that was enough you know like she just felt like she didn't fit in and her roommate was mean and you know all the things she said I was like I mean not that anyone has to pass like a certain like test like oh that's not enough to to be this depressed I mean it could be anything but it did But you were wondering like was there maybe a specific event yeah like 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 i wondered if there was something she wasn't telling teacher hit on me and it was traumatic yeah i wondered if there was some sort of trauma she just wasn't like getting into and so she was just saying like some of the surface stuff and that there was more or if that if that really was the bulk of it i wasn't sure and i I didn't think of that but that is an interesting yeah maybe subtext i kind of just thought that was enough yeah like and i've had like i've probably felt that similar at different points like so I was like no I I get it <laughs> like yeah I think she's out there floating and she's got nothing to hold her down she's got no no roots and she's in this place and it's overwhelming and beyond her you know yeah. and so she's going back to the most familiar safe place that she which is this person which is Drew yeah yeah that's beautiful Sort of. I, I certainly <laughs> thought about my first year in college when I was very, very far away in a extremely new environment. And while things never got as dire as it sounds like they did to Amy, I was desperate to come home for the summer, that first summer, and very reluctant to go back at the end of that summer. Wow. I did not want to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I think about Amy, too, 
she's from much farther west than I was. Mm -hmm. And she's even going to school farther east than I went, Boston, instead of New York. She's about as far away from home as she can get without leaving the country. Yeah. And even just psychologically, that feeling of like, where am I? And where is the closest person who has my back? Yeah. Oh, they're 3,000 miles away. Yeah. That is alarming. I mean, I remember one of the reasons I was afraid to go back my second year of college. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have, I didn't made no friends from the first year that I really felt like were good, close friends. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm so I'm just going to go back to being alone for a whole second year. And the first year, I feel like I kind of got through on shock almost. Like, okay, this is all very new and very overwhelming. Just do what you're supposed to do. Go to class. Do your work. And that worked. I mean, I was successful. I I excelled in classes and things. But it didn't feel like I was building a home, a new home for myself. The second year of school is when I feel like that did really begin, thankfully. but. Yeah, if you didn't feel like that was possible, it would be very frightening. And I imagine a lot of first-year college students experience stuff like that, and maybe even ones who don't go all that far away. It's just a big change. Yeah, that's true. I'm thinking of two different things that are totally opposite from each other. So the first thing I'll say is about the two of you, which I'm realizing I'm the only one of the three of us who has never, like, moved far away I moved here to Lawrence, but like Jay's here. So I, you know, Caleb's sister, I had a friend here right away and I knew that. (laughs) And it was a factor in being like, will I be okay if I move? You know, and it's only two hours away from my hometown, you know, Caleb. And you've always loved Lawrence. I've always loved Lawrence. Yeah. And I'm very happy here. And I never wonder really like, oh, should I have done drugs? (laughs) But, (laughs) But there are times I'm like, oh, did I miss out by not like living all over the place, you know, like Juliet, you know, when you moved to Tennessee, although you did move with your family so that you did know people, but still you didn't like have friends there, like outside your house, you were probably hoping for a bigger support system than just your, you know, immediate family. Um, well, what about when you moved to other countries? Oh, yeah. After having moved to New York for college, I often think if I were to make a change that big again, I think I would need to move to another country where English was not the predominant language. Oh wow. To feel as the same. Oh, I see. out oh, wow. of place as I did. Yeah. But it seems like you did do that. <laughs> I did do that. And and I'm gonna just be honest, I'm actually terrible at moving to new places where I don't know anybody, or even if I do know a couple people kind of like Zimbabwe worked out really well and was just one of the most amazing life-changing experiences for me. Tanzania was actually a lot harder for me, even though I also made friends there. Like I still had like some of those same struggles probably of just like, and after a year of being there, you know, they, they wanted me to stay on for another year. And I was just like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I was really homesick and I just, I find it, you know, and I moved to North Carolina. Even, I was about to say not that. that different from Nashville, like geographically and like people wise. And I had friends there and I made friends there and I love those friends, but I felt again, like without roots and I didn't know how to build those roots. And so after two and a half years, I was like, 
I had an opportunity to come back to Nashville and I was so happy to. And really like the roots I had in Nashville were like I had people that I knew here, but mostly like and my my dad was back here and I just felt so much more at home. Coming back to Nashville, I was like, oh, great. Like I was so, I was so happy. Oh. And I almost moved to New York actually too. But I, and I realized, nope. <laughs> like I was just like, Juliet, you can't move to North Carolina and then think you can move to New York. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, you know, and as, as, and I mean, I love the city. I love like visiting and I'm fascinated with it, but nope. I don't know how you do it, Caleb. I mean, it's your home now, but. <laughs> <laughs> Although I just, you saying that it also makes me think about, I got that sense from Amy in this episode that she was feeling a lot of shame or like a failure for not making this work. And I think a lot of it does depend on the place. Like, you, yeah, you moved to North Carolina, and while logistically it may have seemed like it should have been easier to adjust or put down roots there, for whatever reason, it wasn't. That's not a failing on your part, and it's not to say that if you moved somewhere else besides Nashville, that that might not just work out for whatever reason. And like I would want to say to Amy, maybe all this is is that you've determined that Tufts or Boston or something, that's just not where you're meant to go. That doesn't mean necessarily that Berkeley is the only place mm. you can be successful at this. It's just matchmaking. It's mm. okay. You and Boston, not a match. Yeah. But maybe you and New York would be a match or maybe you and College Station, Texas would be a match. You know, it, it, you never know. That's true. Zimbabwe was a match. Tanzania wasn't. Yeah. I will say just being around so many high school seniors who are making all these plans for what's next, I feel like these are worries that they can even articulate. They'll go on these college visits to try to picture themselves at a place, but they'll even say, you know, well, I went and I think I really liked it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, they're like, I, I, they're like, you know, they're like, I'm, I'm hoping this is the right call, especially if they're going somewhere far away. That's expensive, which a lot of them are, you know, I teach AP students who have a lot of opportunities and, and a lot of them are, are really doing something very different than I did, which was, you know, live with my mom and go to the school in my college, in my town. And it was very easy. Who knows what the right thing is. And I mean, like we haven't heard from Hattie in a long time, but we can only assume she's thriving because she only wanted to come home when her mom was um, sick. You know, it wasn't because she wasn't having a good time. And so, yeah, like it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, we talk about making good choices and I definitely think there are choices we can make that are bad. Again, heroin. Um, but, <laughs> but I think so much of it, we don't know. Like we, we're just trying our best here. And I think we do need to like remove the stigma of like, what if Amy transfers? She's not a failure. You know, like, like that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself that if this plan that you thought would work doesn't work, there's something wrong with you. No, that's terrible. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Amy could definitely benefit from some counseling maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm glad she told Drew yeah. about this. And like what you said about her safe place being a person that's really beautiful in one sense, but maybe troubling in another one. It reminded me a little bit when she said, like, you're all I've got mm -hmm. right Ryan. now. I yeah. It reminded me of Ryan. And yet I felt like the situations were quite different. Amy seemed ashamed to say that, mm. which I think 
reveals that she knows that's not the way that it should be. That yeah. That's not a healthy mm. attitude to have. And that she has hope that it might change. And, and listening to it again, I think she used the words right now. Yeah, somewhere, I think she did. Which I'm like, oh, that makes me think you do have some awareness that you're going through something right now. Yeah. But that... It's not permanent. She didn't say that as a precursor to then proposing to him. You're kind right. of all Ryan's, I have. Will you marry me? Ryan's felt like a lie that he was trying to convince himself yeah. of. Like Amber was a life raft. And if he could just hold on tight enough, yeah. she would fix him or something. Like, so I think there are some differences, but there were some similarities too. This is, And she's not telling her parents the truth. Ugh. I don't know what's going on there. It always seemed like she had a good relationship with them. So hopefully it's just her own insecurity and not a pattern between them. Because I do get that you'd be embarrassed about what your parents would think. And who knows what the financial situation is. When you were saying, you know, like, we need to remove the stigma. College is so expensive, too, that who knows like, what her parents are paying for her to move across the country and go to Tufts. Right. And she, I'm sure that adds pressure of like, well, if I don't make this work, then my parents just blew tens of thousands of dollars and it's my fault. And uh, I'm sure her parents just want her to be well yeah. happy, but it's very hard. That's a good point. And it puts Drew in a position now, too, where it can't just be like, Amy, this is weird. Why are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> now he, ha- he has to be a little more delicate. Uh, but the question still remains, like, well, this is not the place for you. Unless you're going to go enroll, then right. okay. But then you'll get your own room. and you know, but- <laughs> Yeah, she's in limbo. I did wonder, like, this is such a dumb thing, but before he canceled his plans and came back to be with her, I was like, surely the plan is not for her to stay in this room and Birdo to stay in this room without Drew there, too. Like... That's a bad plan. Do you know what I like? I wouldn't feel safe, like just staying with Drew's kind of creepy roommate, like, and (laughs) no Drew there. Like, I don't know. I just, I, that was just a side note that I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I'm like, I think that was the plan. That seems like a bad plan. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe Drew realized that. Yeah. Maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah. When she was like, wait, you're not coming back till tomorrow. I think that could be seen as controlling or like, I don't want you to be with Natalie, but I just put myself in that situation and I thought, I don't want to be here with your roommate. Oh, I get that she'd be freaked out. Yeah. But I also felt like I was not happy that he went back. It didn't I mean, see- I maybe understand it in that one instance, but I thought, well, the solution here is not, yeah, to deprive yourself of your own opportunities because she needs you. Yeah. And not even needs him, but would like him to be there. Like, this is not this is not sustainable no but i think i think everyone involved knows that so i'm i'm not feeling too bad and if it is a one-time thing i'm glad he was there for her Mm -hmm. but i i hope they resolve it yeah what was natalie being what was she i wrote i wrote it down let me like actually she bothered me less in this episode yeah i was previously it didn't feel territorial it felt like this is weird, Drew. Are you not acknowledging that this is weird? Yeah, I, I wrote, is Natalie hitting on Drew or being a good friend or being condescending? I don't love the way she keeps saying your high school girlfriend. So I couldn't tell. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, I, I picked I, up on that too, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, what's wrong with him having a, his high school girlfriend? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just call her Amy. That's her name. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> but yeah, I just... I mean, I think that probably ultimately she's right. Like, 
don't give up everything, move forward. You're in college, don't look back. And maybe that's why she's saying high school girlfriend. But it's made a little complicated by the fact that last time we saw the three of them, she was being really territorial and, you know, not a good friend. Uh, and so, yeah, hard to know what to make of yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's a mix because I, I agree with you. I think she's right. But also, like, not calling her by her name and calling her a high school girlfriend. I'm like, well, that's a power play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just undermining her. That's when it's like, oh, who, Ron? Oh, Rod. Sure, whatever. You yeah. Know, that's when yeah. you, like, get someone's yeah. name wrong on purpose. Or, like, when Hank would do that about, like, your boyfriend – and she'd be like, he's my fiance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another continuing storyline. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even get it out. Joel and Julia. Uh, when last we left the Grams, Joel <laughs> slept somewhere else. And here's the fallout. Are we just not going to talk about it? Talk about what? About where you slept the other night? Seriously? I have a right to know where you slept. You know, I didn't I didn't make this mess, Julia. I didn't I didn't make it. Okay, I'm so... Believe me, I wish I could go back and I could do things differently, but I never just didn't come home. I uh I went to the trailer and I got drunk and passed out. What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I've got, uh, at 8 a.m., a meeting with Pete to go over the grounds. At 4, I've got a train with Victor for Jogathon, and um, this is going to be great. Poker with your brothers. You don't have night. to go to that. I don't have to go. That's not going to be a big issue. The Braverman hotline won't be ringing off the hook or anything like that. we got enough rumors flying around. I don't know, Julia. I don't know what we're doing with our lives. I've just got to... i just got to get on with mine. Juliet, I feel like we should maybe start with you. Like, what what has been your take on this whole Julia Joel marriage in crisis storyline. Well, I can say like the first time I saw it, I was like, what the heck? Like the first time I went through, cause I've, I've watched the whole series. Now I look back, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I think what I'm seeing is Joel has his limits apparently. And, <laughs> um, and, but he does, but you know, we never knew, like he never communicated, like if this keeps happening, this is what's going to happen. There was never any oh. communication. Good so point. We've, we've now just hit a wall that we didn't know was there. Yeah. And it's a wall that was created because in their relationship, they don't have reciprocity. They don't have mutual support. It's always Julia's way or the highway kind of, you know, yeah. like, and now Joel has finally drawn a line in the sand. And I don't know, like, it's, I was really upset the first time I was like, oh, guys, like, just work it out. But like, that happens sometimes. And it's, it seems very like realistic, but also like terrible. So yeah, she, she keeps saying like, what are we doing? And we've got to solve this. And he's no longer saying we, he's saying, I've got to do this and I'm going to do that. Wow. And good um, observation. I didn't make this mess. You did. Yeah. Yeah. There's an I message, but it's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Juliet, you are making me realize something Mark is really good at that I don't think I'm as good at in our relationship, but I'm, I try. He will sometimes talk to me about things that he's struggling with in, in our relationship, but he will like even say if something's really big. He's like, it's fine for now, but like, I don't know that I can keep having this conversation. You know, like, like he's like, I think something will need to give on your part for whatever it is. And that's not like a talk we have all that often or anything, thankfully, but it's like his, I think, very healthy way of letting me know, like, when something is, is major. And I think in his perfect world, I would be better at saying that too, you know, like, like this is big. And that makes me think, well, this is interesting. Like, I think Julia might be better at like saying when things bother her or upset her. And Joel is just sort of like quietly dealing with it and he needs to probably be better at saying like you know years ago (laughs) you know like like we can't keep having this conversation or or, you know like it just seems like they would avoid 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 and then kind of have a blow up conversation like fight and then avoid 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 and not actually process and work together and and work on their issues it's what you're making me realize wow and you're making me realize i think why i was so bothered by Joel in this scene saying, you know, I didn't make this mess, Julia. It really bothered me, even though I don't disagree with him. And I think it's because, yeah, it felt like a boundary being drawn out of nowhere. Yeah. When in fact, it was something that had been bothering him for so long that he just never quite actually said. And then in the moment, I thought, even if you're right, Joel, that you didn't make this mess, which I think he basically is right, It's not a very helpful attitude (laughs) if you're trying to make things work. And then I caught myself, well, he's not trying to make things work. That's the thing. And he he has said as much. And then it's like, well, then can you really call him on his attitude? His attitude is only a problem if they're trying to fix things. He's not trying to fix things. In which case, well, your attitude is just how you feel. (laughs) And that's the thing. I think he just blew past trying to fix things. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, and then this is also just, I think I'm projecting. So in my my relationship, I'm what might be called a maximalist. So I might make things bigger than they actually need to be. And my husband is definitely a minimalist and he just, he's a minimizer. And so sometimes when he minimizes things, I just don't hear them. Like I don't take them seriously. Like I'm not paying attention because they're down here until he escalates them. And I go, oh, oh. And he's like, I've been telling you this. I'm like, have you? (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't notice. You really need to like, tell me that you're telling me these things. You can't just say kind of, because then I won't hear it. If you're like, oh, it's a little bit bothering me. I'm like, oh, just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. It's not a big deal. Apparently, you know, like I don't recognize that until it gets to a certain decibel for me to hear it sometimes. (laughs) Well, what if Joel, instead of just that one time blowing up in her and saying, you don't want me to work ever, which was him, I think maybe finally being like, this is a big deal. Like stop acting like it's not Julia. It's huge. But then again, they never talk about it. They never, like, what if he actually looked at her years ago and said, do you ever stop and think of everything I do around here to make this place work? Do you realize how much I feel taken for granted? It's not fair. I can't feel that way and go on. It's going to blow up at some point. But instead, 
it just kind of blows up, you know, and, and I, and now he's telling her these things, but he's telling her from a resentful, angry place when it's kind of too late, you know, when he was like, I gave you nine years, I championed you a few episodes back, you know, and it's like, ugh. Yeah, they, they should have talked about this way earlier if they were going to... Like, the fact that she's, like, now saying, oh, maybe we could see a counselor. He's like, well, I'm done. <laughs> like, you know, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and their oh. terrible communication just continues. Because, kind of like I said already, I feel like Joel said lots of words without actually saying anything in this scene. You know, she says, are we going to talk about where you slept last night? He doesn't answer any of that. I mean, he does literally say where he slept, but... I felt like Julia was focused on the wrong things too. Like I thought the question she needs to be asking and that he needs to be answering is what is our status? Hmm. Are we together? Are we separating? Are we divorcing? Are you not going to live here for a while? Are we not sleeping in the same house? What, what is our status? Even at the end of the scene, Joel says, I'm getting on with my life. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? What does it look like to you? I thought it was just she was trying to get some answers and he didn't really provide them. And she wasn't then getting more specific with what she really wanted to know, which I do think she has a right to know Yeah, what's going on. Although listening to it this time, it did make me think couples who are going through things like this or when they whenever I hear about a couple that's separated, I often think like, well, what does that mean? I forget that like when you're going through something like this, the rest of your life keeps going. Joel does still have to go to this 8 a.m. tomorrow with his boss. And he does still have to work with Victor for this jogathon or whatever it is. That other stuff can't all just be put on hold. And so sometimes this relationship stuff maybe just has to be put on hold for a while. Like maybe we need to to live in this nether region <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Because we don't have time to just stop and figure it all out. Yeah. Which would be excruciating. Excruciating. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Almost worse, I think, than... Like, I almost felt relieved when he said at the end that he was moving out. That might sound terrible, but I I almost felt like if I were... At least it was definitive. If I were Julia, I think that would be devastating. But, like, okay... Like as a now you know what you have to process. And I know that when you're not sleeping here, you're probably in your apartment and not where. Like you know, that's Pete's house, drunk and wow. a trailer. Like who knows? And you where. saying that right now reminds me of Amber's goodbye to Ryan. That mm. he's going somewhere where she can't know if he's safe or not. And mm. it's not even just safe. Like, well, where is he? Oh. Okay, I've narrowed it down to Afghanistan, the country of <laughs> Afghanistan. That does not give me any peace of mind. Yeah. Anyway, no, not very, to no, us, that's good. Yeah. Well, Julia's no longer confiding in Ed. Thankfully, she's confiding in someone I think is healthier. Yeah. And a combo I feel like we don't get very much, which is the Braverman sisters. I loved this. He kissed me. When he kissed you, he kissed me. You didn't kiss him back. I don't know. I probably should have pulled away a half a second earlier than I did. But I it's not, it's not, we're not even friends anymore. You know, it was just like a, and then I thought that I should tell Joel. But then when I told him he didn't come home, he slept at work. That's what he said. Just for one night. But I don't know. His boss is also, I don't know. If you 
met her or saw her. You think there's something going on? I don't, I hope not, but his reaction was so dramatic to Julie, mine no. that I don't know if he's trying to justify something on his end. I think that might have just been a shock that you let a half a second too long go by, but I don't think that it's irreparable. I, I think he sounds like he got really mad, and yeah. that makes sense, and he needed some time away, and that makes sense. I hope you're right. That's, that's what I'm hoping. I just Julia, people have their ups and downs and make mistakes, and I just can't imagine that Joel won't forgive you and understand all you have is not going to go away because of half a second. Yeah. I really hope you're right. I'm glad to hear you say that. I just don't want him to leave me. <laughs> you know? Who's going to leave you? Nobody's going to leave you. Okay, okay. No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Give me a hug. I feel made a little mistake. That's yeah. All. Thank you. Sarah is so supportive and there for her sister, which is so sweet, but I also don't think Julia is really telling the full story about what's happened here. <laughs> yeah. A half a second. Do you think that's all that was? Nope. <laughs> I mean, as you guys have alluded to, she's kind of been having an emotional affair. And I don't know if she's not admitting it to herself as well as anybody else. Or if she really is just ashamed and is just not admitting it to anybody else, but she herself knows that she's been crossing the line. It does make me realize, I think she's been a little bit more honest each time she's talked about it. Like, like I think she did tell Sarah a little bit more than she told Adam. <laughs> and I was surprised at how much she told Adam. But yeah, I think that's such a good question, Juliet. And I don't know the answer. Like, is she lying to herself? Because she knew enough to ask Ed if she was the reason why they were divorcing, which makes me think maybe she does know. And she just can't bear the people in her life thinking badly of her or something. Or like she wants to get the advice she wants. And so she just isn't telling the full truth. She's minimizing it. I don't, I don't know. I hadn't thought of this until now, but I wonder if it means anything that when she's confiding in her siblings, it's not about things she feels Joel has done wrong. Right. It's not help me with my marriage because my husband is acting X, Y, Z. It's all about her, which I think maybe speaks to, because I was contemplating what you asked, Juliet, and I thought, well, I think that she does know what she's done is wrong, but I also don't think that she thinks what Joel is saying, which is it's all her fault. I don't think she thinks that. But she's not confiding in anyone else about what she thinks Joel has done wrong, which makes me think even if she doesn't know it up in her like top shelf brain, <laughs> that she knows the big problem is what she has done. And that maybe whatever issues she's having with Joel are really only being exacerbated because of what she has done. Like, he'd be more there for you if you factored in his opinion about what to do with your son's education and if you didn't kiss other men. Like, <laughs> then he would be more there for you. One thing, though, I, the, the positive things I thought about this scene was just her having someone to confide in, to be a voice of reason, to tell her things aren't as bad as they are when they just settle in Julia's brain all day long. And it was something that I thought, I don't know if I'm interpreting this the way that the show was intending, 
But I feel like they've shown little flashes of Julia catastrophizing mm. in some of the ways that Christina used to. And it's like, is this because she's home all day long just thinking about it? Oh. It's like, frankly, maybe the biggest reason she's not cut out to be a stay-at-home parent is that she needs distractions. She needs to not be alone with her thoughts. Because I thought, I think that made her act rashly about Victor. I think she thought, danger, danger, danger. we got to get him out of fifth grade. It's not working. It's not yeah. working. I think that happened with Ed. I think it happened about Pete. What she said in this scene about Pete, I think it's not really based in reality. It's no. not really rational. And yet I believed that when Joel is not giving her answers about what's going on, where are we, what are we doing, that she just spins it around in her head over and over until she thinks maybe he's trying to justify something on his end. Maybe he's attracted to Pete and this is his permission slip to act on it because I kissed Ed. Crap, what do I do now? When actually I'm like, I don't think that's going on at all. No. But if you sat at home all day with no indication, maybe you might think about that. Anyway, so I, I thought, yes, she needed a moderating voice to shift her thinking about things, and which I thought Sarah did really wonderfully. But I also noted, Julia, exactly what you did, which is Sarah does not know the extent of everything. So I'm not sure how accurate her assessment of the situation was. Yeah. Right. She's probably thinking, oh, Joel. Kind, yeah. reasonable, always gives people chances, patient. We don't have that Joel anymore. That right. Joel has been replaced. The patience is <laughs> depleted. <laughs> it is true. I think sometimes I'm, because I do think that Julia kind of has messed up more, but I, it's not like I think Joel is, you know, I think Caleb, you've said this before, like being his best self right now. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that um, he's, he's done more damage than he is willing to admit to. It's, it's really almost silly for him to say that, this is entirely her fault. Like that's never true, right? I mean, is that, I mean, it's so rarely in a, in a partnership like this. I mean, I'm sure there are examples now, now my brain is like, don't say never. I'm sure there are times, but you know, so, so often it's both people make yeah. mistakes and then those like sort of build on each other, you know, then yeah. the resentments build and well, now I'm wondering if there's a connection between Joel and Zeke in this episode, which is the danger of not saying what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Like if Zeke doesn't say, I really miss you when you're away and not just for superficial things, or I really feel like I'm not being included in your life and I know you tried to and I rebuffed you, but I realized the error of that. If he doesn't say that, it's just going to happen again. And if Joel hasn't been saying, I really feel taken advantage of, or I really feel like you don't factor in my opinion on big things. Yeah. I think the main difference between the two of them, and it's fascinating because it's sort of yielding the same result, I think. But I think that Joel is capable of saying those things. And I'm genuinely curious why he never did. Is it like just his idea of like being the supportive, good person, and he just always assumed, well, if it's ever reversed, Julia would do the same and wouldn't burden me with, with all of this. Mm. She would just hold up her end of the bargain. And then they are in the opposite position and she doesn't. And then he's like, oh, 
no. I was really wrong. I was really <laughs> wrong. And so maybe he's like more of a man of like action. And he, he thought his actions were speaking and Julia's actions are not reflecting his, which may or may not be fair. I mean, I've said all along, it's what pisses me off the most about Julia, but also we have different strengths and different weaknesses and different gifts. And like, it's maybe unfair to expect her to be just as good at what he did, you know, staying at home and being supportive. Anyway, but like Zeke, I don't think he's capable of saying it the way that you just said it, Caleb. Like, I think he can either stay silent about how he's feeling or say something really insensitive and mean that she doesn't deserve. And that's something maybe for him to work on. But like, I honestly am like, I can't even imagine those words coming out of Zeke's mouth. I can imagine him saying, well, it's about time you came home. This isn't right. Or I can imagine him doing what he's doing, which is like, I better not say that. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. Is that the difference between like, is that passive aggressive? He can't get, he can't hit assertive. Is that? Yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, he like, he's only good at being passive or aggressive. <laughs> yeah, maybe not good at being assertive, just, or, or just sensitive. Or admitting fault. Cause I feel like with Camille, like he would, if he wants to be included, if he's feeling left out, he has to acknowledge that Camille tried to include him. What is our third act going to be? That is what she asked him. It's not, here's what my third act is going to be. You can get on board or not. That's not what she offered him. Yeah. She said, let's figure this out. Here's what I want. Now, what do you want? And he didn't really engage with that. So if he's going to do it now, I think it has to include... I was wrong or I missed my chance to say what I wanted. Can I say it now? And will you accept it? But it has to include admitting some kind of fault. I think he's really bad at that. Yeah. Julia's maybe better at it than I gave her credit for. I mean, it's a little late, but she is saying to Joel things like, I wish I could do it differently, you know, and to both of her siblings, she's at least admitting some fault, even if she's not totally willing to, Yeah. you know. So that's interesting. Joel saying he was going to move out at the end legit shocked me. I knew that it was coming at some point, but I didn't remember when or how it came about. It's very powerful after looking at both of his kids asleep, though. Yeah. And when he says it, isn't he like not even facing her? Yeah. He's at the foot of the bed, I think. Yeah. He's not even looking at her. Wow. What do you think that means? Like, is it a sign of like, I can't even look at you right now? Like, I'm so mad. Or do you think it's like, I'm afraid I'll change my mind if I look at you, you know, and see the hurt? Because I tend to think it might be the first one. He's pretty mad. I think it's the first one. I feel like he's just too through. That would have devastated me. I, I I did feel for Julia. I mean, I think she's made a lot of mistakes, but she knows she has. That's a hard place to be when you know you've made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And you wish you could do things differently. And for her, like, I think she's having such a hard time believing, like, this is it. Like, it's too late. (laughs) I think she's finally like, yeah, like, she's finally figuring it out. And now she doesn't have a chance to make it right. Yeah. But then I wonder, would she be figuring it out if she knew she had a chance? Maybe not. I don't know. That's a very good question, Juliet. Like, that's really, really perceptive. Yeah. I think you might be right about that because anytime he's, you know, expressed something, she's really kind of brushed it off and made it seem like no big deal. It had to be the biggest deal in the world for her to get it. Yeah. Well, here's a question about Joel and Julia. Because he ends this episode by saying he's moving out, it doesn't seem like catastrophizing to think 
the relationship is over. That's how I would interpret that. It would seem miraculous at this point if it somehow turned around after this. (laughs) So not that you should be assigning blame for the end of a relationship, but does the person who puts the last nail in Mm. earn any kind of blame for that? Like Joel has been saying the problem is Julia. Mm -hmm. Is that lessened at all by the fact that he's the one saying we're done. Forget it. Is it then like, well, then who ended the marriage? Joel did. He literally walked in and ended it. Or is it, no, I just called the time of death. (laughs) Julia killed it. Oh, wow. Damn. Or is it irrelevant? Because I can see Julia or anyone, if we're making it hypothetical, blaming the person that ends it. Well, I was, you know, I wanted to go to counseling and you moved out. It's a great question, but I don't know that I have an answer. I don't know either. Yeah, that's. I don't have one. (laughs) I think maybe I lean towards thinking it's irrelevant. Like, I think by the time it gets to that point. It's done. I do think it's unfair for him to just keep saying it's entirely her fault. I do know that. But I also don't think it's entirely his fault because he walked in and ended it. I think it's over. Sometimes I think, what does it even matter? Like, if somebody dies, often there's like a real obsession with like, what happened? Especially if somebody dies young or something. And I'm I'm human like everyone else. I, I get curious. But I really try not to like perseverate on that because I think... Usually, I don't know that it matters how the person died. It just matters that they're gone. And how do you deal with that? And so even though I know that I've been like really analyzing who's to blame for Joel Julia, I think what really matters, I guess, is that it happened, that it's over. And, you know, I often think about what is that curiosity? And at least for me, I think it's rooted in something quite selfish, which is am I alert to the things I should be alert about? As if I could read an obituary of someone and it says, well, they died from listening to show tunes. Like, oh, shit. (laughs) What am I doing? You know, I I think on some level, I'm thinking what got them Mm. and am I guarding against it? Oh, yeah. Even though I'm not literally thinking that, I, I often think like, I bet that's what's underneath that. But I wonder, I'm sure the same thing probably what happens with marriages like, could this happen now? What happened between Joel and Julia? Well, they never resolved any of their conflicts. Okay, do we? Okay, we do. Okay. We'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's very insightful. You know, I can't help but think for me, it feels like it would be different if Julia was also like, yeah, you're right. Or like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to keep working on this. To me, it's a, it feels a little bit harsher because. Joel is like, yeah, time of death or whatever. And Julia's like, hey, I'm still here doing CPR. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. What are this, you know? Yeah. But I can't call one or the other. Like, oh. it's just a bad storm. It's just a, it's a mix of a whole bunch of bad things that are influencing the whole thing. You know, at the start of a relationship, I think everyone agrees that both people have to want to be in the relationship. You know, it's what it's kind of what Sarah explained to Hank when when Ruby was like, no, I don't want to be with you, Max. And, you know, Sarah's like, that's how it works. But it's interesting, like at the end, Joel doesn't want to be in it anymore. But that feels too simple. That's different from Ruby not wanting to date Max. They've never dated. They weren't just married for a decade and had two children together. Um, so, it, you know, it's it maybe should be it should maybe go beyond just well i'm done you know like it maybe should like i'm out it should maybe like 
I, I wish he would have gone to counseling or I wish he would have spoken up before he got to that point. But <sighs> yeah, because on the flip side, I think, why should you stay in a relationship you don't want to be in? Like, I, I think making the argument for, no, here's why you should just be miserable. Mm-hmm. Good luck making that argument. I'm not going to. What's the <laughs> virtue in that? And obviously when there's kids involved, but, you know, I don't think Joel is going to leave his children. No, I don't get that sense at all. He said the only thing keeping him from leaving before was them. But then I also think how long have they been having these problems? I mean, in some sense, yes, we've seen signs for a long time, but then I'm also like, Five months? Like, really? Like, that things have been really bad? Or three months is what he says to her. Like, I gave you nine years. You couldn't give me three months. Then I'm like, that's pretty fast Yeah. to just end the significant relationship. Where this are. is yeah. why I thought this is, to me, when the first time I watched this, I was like, this is coming out of like, whoa, like, where did reasonable Joel go? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, this is bad and sure, but like, so you're finally to the point where you could work it out and you're just already two through and you you're just now communicating that to everybody like it's just although they have a lot of problems in season four too around victor's adoption that's true disagreeing on whether to adopt him like that's major or keep him Yeah. yeah yeah and then it but it did seem like they got through that and they were very blissful in the season premiere of season five but yeah i feel like they've had lots of it's not like it's been all I mean, they've, of course, they've had these underlying issues that need to be dealt with, but they've, it's not like their whole thing has been this rocky, horrible. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it does feel very abrupt in lots of ways. Yeah. And something that makes me think, you know, Julia keeps saying things like, Joel, this is not us sleeping on the couch. And then here she's saying, what are we doing? There would be a real element of like, how on earth did we get here like if whiplash especially if you're not very perceptive as she (laughs) often isn't and i in this moment i don't even mean that as a criticism i think she's genuinely confused like i'm i feel like i missed some steps to how we arrived here and now we're here and i'm trying to deal with it as best as i can but a good portion of my mental energy is also just trying to figure out what i missed this whole time i must have missed something if we got here and that feels very relatable. I mean, I feel like I, we all have friends who go, what happened? And they go, oh, I don't really know. <laughs> and sometimes I think like, how can you not know? But watching this, I think, well, maybe you like this. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know some stuff, but yeah. then there's other things that you, you must have just missed. Yeah. Or it was a bigger deal than you thought. Yeah. Well, last but not least, Amber's meltdown, (laughs) the fallout from Ryan really being gone. I often thought throughout this episode of the end of season two Mm -hmm. when Amber had, you know, she had been trying to be a good student and everything, but then she didn't get into school anywhere and kind of just went off the rails. And I thought, oh, this is reminiscent of that. But I also thought it was different Mm -hmm. in some ways. And her phone conversation with Sarah, I thought encapsulated some of that really well. And I thought, oh, this is consistent behavior for her. Mm-hmm. But she's also maturing. And I thought she was moody and angsty and she went off on her own and she didn't tell anybody. That feels like old Amber. But when she was on the phone, she didn't seem drunk or high. Mm-mm. And she very quickly dropped the lie. 
mm-hmm. and told her mom the truth about exactly what was going on. I just need to be away. I need to clear my head. I'm driving around. I'm not sick. And I thought that's a step of maturing yeah. because she's basically just saying, I just need some space and time. Yeah. But I will let you know that I'm not dead in ditch somewhere. Yeah. Like, well, that's good. And I think what she. What did you think? <laughs> I think she does wait to drink until she's in the parking lot looking at her dad. Like, I don't think she was driving drunk. Although, once she was drunk, then she was like, let me go and wanted to drive drunk. <laughs> yeah. But you could argue that's because she's drunk. We're not making a good decision. But once know. again, I found it unintentionally funny <laughs> that she was drinking from a flask. With a lit cigarette in her hand. It was just very... And why? I don't know exactly why. It should be so hilarious to me. It's a cliche. I think it's just like, yeah, it's the like, what's shorthand for Amber's going through something dark? <laughs> well, she's drinking and she's smoking. That means she's bad. She's a bad girl. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. But I also feel like, you know, if Mae Whitman can't sell that... I think it's just a bad idea. Like, you're not going to get anyone to sell this better. And I just am talking about that one shot. Yeah. Later on in the the car. Later on when she's drunk, I actually, here, I'll just segue into what I was going to say about this. Does this scene include, what now, Jason? Because I just want to say real quick that that's probably my biggest laugh of maybe the entire series so far. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what now? Jason, to this random dude at the bar, I was crying, and that oh was, my I think, intentional laughter. Like that was just Mary Whitman <laughs> being hilarious. Okay, please play the clip. I was going to talk about. Okay, so I work near actors a lot, and a lot of the time, I feel like I understand how they do what they do, and a little part of me thinks I could do that. But then I see stuff like this scene with Amber and her dad. Oh, yeah. Where she has to be drunk, but also trying to prove that she's not drunk or at least not too drunk to drive and angry and sad. And she has to get a big confession out to him. And I think I would not know where to start to portray something like this. Amber! Just leave me alone! What, what is going on? You just get to my car. Just want to go. You're not driving. You're I'm drunk. I'm fine. I'm not drunk. Just stop. I'm get trying it. to just go. Give me the keys. Stop it. You get. know about drinking keys. and driving, you stupid get. asshole. Look, no matter what no. you think about me as a father, <laughs> I am not going to let you drive stop stone. Stop it. It's really ironic that you're trying to talk to me about drinking and driving. Just back off, okay? This is you and your stupid-ass movements about being a father. All of a sudden, you want to take care of me. You don't know anything about me, man. Just just back off. Screw you. You don't know anything. This is your fault anyway. My fault? How's it my idiot. fault? I don't even know what yeah, the hell's going on. It's your fault, okay? Because my fiancé left me. And I loved him, and now he's gone. Okay. So you're mad at me because you yeah. think you're gonna marry somebody like me, right? No, no, that's not why. Why? It's because, because you're, because I'm afraid I'm, I'm like you. I'm afraid I'm exactly like you, and in the middle of nowhere, in some stupid bar. <laughs> How'd she do that? Uh, 
That was really good. I just have the question, like I watched it and I was like, yeah, but then I'm actually kind of like, but why? I Maybe I'm not getting why she is afraid that she's just like him. In what sense? Like where, I feel like I'm missing why she, why she feels that way. That was going to be my exact question to you. Like, oh, okay. what is the connection between what she has just gone through and her father? I don't quite get it. I reached for one explanation that then kind of made sense, but I'm interested to hear if you have, I mean, did anyone think, oh yeah, of course she would go see her dad. Well, I, I did, I did under, or I felt like the connection for me was Ryan, like just broke her heart. He is the only man that she has loved this much that she has cried over like this, that has broken her heart this much. And he did the leaving who was the last man that was in her life that had that significant a role that left her was her father, you know? So that, that connection made sense to me, but her feeling like she's identifying with him, like Ryan did the leaving and her father did the leaving. So I wasn't, that's where I got a little bit confused. Yeah. I love that. I didn't even articulate it that well. I just wrote, is this the actual reason for her visit that she thinks she's like him? I really didn't understand that and and I guess maybe it's like three seasons ago, like Caleb said, she went to a really dark place when something didn't go well, and now she senses she's going to this dark place again. But that's the only thing I can think of. Okay, so maybe like sh- when that dark thing happened, she kind of went away and was alone mm-hmm. with her darkness. Yeah, similar to her father. Yeah, like he had to. Okay, that maybe. That's it's the, funny. Yeah, I wrote down so much of what you said, Juliet. Like, I put the fact that she went to see her dad made me think that maybe her fiance, whom she loved, leaving her, reminded her of her father, whom she loved, leaving her. <laughs> the grammar is terrible, but it totally the, works. The point <laughs> was the same. Um, but then I wrote, I'm not sure identifying with her father totally tracks for me. But I do believe that she might feel like damaged goods, like nothing can go right for her because there's something fundamentally broken about her. That was the closest I could think of that, like, why would he leave me? Because there's something wrong with me, just like there's something wrong with my dad. It still doesn't quite make sense to me, but... I don't think she's also in the clearest headspace. Like I, I believe she might make a connection that actually isn't there. Isn't really yeah. there. Yeah. Because of where she is. Or maybe just when she's angry, like she's feeling a lot of feelings. She has a lot of pain and anger and she wants to get it out. And it just dredges up these feelings. Although that to me is a explanation for why she goes to see him, but not why she would identify with him. Wouldn't it be funny? I mean, sort of, if this isn't really how she feels, but he nails it when he's like, what, you're afraid that you're going to marry someone just like me. And she's like, no, that's not <laughs> she just makes something up. I don't think that's actually what the show wants us to think, but that would be really funny if she's like, I don't want my dad to be right. So you can't just, be right. Yeah. So I'm going to say something else. I do also buy it as just like a background noise in her life of conflict. It's like when on Gilmore Girls, Julia, you're a Gilmore Girls person. No, I'm, I feel like I should be after listening to you guys. Okay. <laughs> I, 
I actually do think you'd really like it, but you never I, know. I need to give it a, another chance. It's been years. Well, I feel like it's a little bit like on Gilmore Girls when Lorelai and her mom are fighting ferociously about a million other things. And then they cut to them still fighting. But now Lorelai is saying, we were 16. We didn't want to get married. When you get pregnant, you get married. A child needs a mother and a father. Oh my God. And it was just to show that, yeah, in this moment, they're mad about a ton of little things in the present, but they're always mad about this thing that happened years ago. It's ancient history that hasn't been resolved, can never be resolved. Yeah. And then like, maybe this is that for Amber too. Like the one thing I'm always going to be mad about in my life is my fucking father <laughs> who wasn't the father I deserved. Yeah. I, I do think that maybe she sees her dad as like his true self is the drunk screw up. And when he's going through these stints of sobriety, it's just his attempt to be normal and good, which is kind of what she says three seasons ago when she tells her mom, like, I tried the college thing. I wasn't any good at it. So I'm just going to default to my flask oh. and my cigarettes. And because that's my true self. Like, I wonder if that's how she's identifying Ooh. with her father. And I don't think she's right about either of them, actually. But like, you that's know. very yeah. good, though. Thank you. Wow. And this is why people listen to this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I did love where it led to them the next morning. About last night, I just, I said some stuff. I'm just sorry. Really, really got to stop being so mad at you. I got to let it go. Well, you got a lot off your chest, and uh, they say that helps. You know, for the record, you... <clears throat> you're not like me. If you were, you, you wouldn't still be here. You'd have left without saying goodbye. You could never be me. Because you got your mother in you. Mm. Those are really good. <laughs> That's bisquick. You must still be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that was so cute. They're so serious and then they just have a little comedic moment. It was nice to see them laugh together. Have we ever seen that in the entire show? Like, no. I think that was maybe really important that they had that yeah. little joke. Yeah. I'm sad to say that this is John Corbett's last appearance <sighs> in the whole series. According to IMDb, apparently he's in the series finale, but his scenes were deleted. Oh. oh. So I don't, I mean, we'll all investigate that more when we get there, but I think this is the last episode he talks in. And given that, I'm so glad that this was the last scene we saw. I'm like, the first episode we see with him and Amber is, you know, they're in really not a good place. Mm -hmm. And to trace that to this feels like a nice journey, certainly for Seth and for their relationship. As I was playing that clip, a new thought occurred to me. As he said, you know, you could never be like me. You've got your mother in you. Who left in Amber's parents' marriage? Mm. It was Sarah. Sarah left him. I mean, I think he left them 
plenty of times in small ways, but who, who fled the marriage? Sarah did because rightly, I think everyone would agree rightly. Seth was just too toxic. Yeah. Maybe that's what she's thinking. Am I so toxic that my partner had to flee me? Wow. That's, but I don't know. That's deep, but not true. <laughs> right, but right. not true. But so believable, because we always tell ourselves these untruths, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I also thought it was fitting the song playing in the background was the Gershwin's Someone to Watch Over Me. Love that song. Yeah. And I thought that is probably what Amber wants, isn't oh. it? Just someone to watch over her and take care of her. And how nice in this moment he actually is doing that. Yeah. I loved Seth's phone call to Sarah. I loved a little bit of physical acting of Sarah just seeing his name on her phone. Like Gary. And up. the assumption of like, well, something has gone wrong because <laughs> why else would he? And she's right. It's just he's, in this case, equipped to handle it. Yeah. I also loved what Amber said about needing to stop being so angry at him. Again, the path from these plot points to one another is not totally clear to me. I'm like, is this the moral of Amber's episode that she needs to stop being mad at her dad? I'm not sure, but I agree with the sentiment. And it reminded me of one of my favorite lines from the show, Six Feet Under. Uh This came at the end of, I think, season four, when David, one of the sons, was trying to get over being mugged and kidnapped. It was a horrible episode. And the ghost of his father appears to him to help him get over it. And he says... You hang on to your pain like it means something, like it's worth something. Well, let me tell you, it's not worth shit. Let it go. Infinite possibilities and all he can do is whine. Well, what am I supposed to do? What do you think? You can do anything, you lucky bastard. You're alive! What's a little pain compared to that? And I've always remembered that you keep holding on to your pain like it means something, like it's worth something. It's not worth shit. And I thought that is probably what Amber has been doing. And I think it's a tough balance to strike because I do think you have to process your trauma and your pain. I don't think you can just deny it. Well, I'm fine. Right. Because if you aren't actually fine, don't think that leads anywhere good. But I do think at a certain point, there can be comfort in clinging to it. And you know who you are with that pain. Yeah. And Amber, I think, is maybe there. Like, you got through it, and you have a lot of opportunities to have exactly the kind of life that you want. You'd be better served by letting go of that. And I think she has processed a lot of it. I mean, she's there with the guy who was the source of all this pain, and they're getting along. Yeah. That's great. Well, maybe if she equates herself with her dad, she also needs to forgive herself. I don't know for what exactly, but, you know, yeah. you know, her part and the relationship ending, or maybe she just needs to realize it's okay that it ended. There's not anything wrong with her. Like, she's not damaged. It just didn't work. I feel like we had some real revelations in this one. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is one of our longest ones ever, I think. And it was just like... Well, I, let me do a little theme. All right, yeah. Oh, what's the theme? Yeah. So I was thinking of the title, as often I do. And Jump Ball very clearly applied to Hank. They said it several times. And I thought you could also apply it to Joel and Julia as well. Like, does this marriage have a chance? Is it over? 
like you asked when he went in there, did he not face her because he might change his mind? I did write down, I think if Joel went into the bedroom at the end 10 times, five times he would have said he was moving out and five times he would have said, okay, let's go to the counselor. Wow. Jump ball. So maybe that's a jump ball. Mm-hmm. Zeke and Camille, I feel like are a little bit of a jump ball. Like, is this going to work or is this doomed? Amy and Drew. Yeah. It just feels at an impasse. And then Amber with her dad, it felt a little like, will she be like him? Will she be like Sarah? Jump ball. Wow. That's good. I I really felt like all the conflicts in this episode felt really layered and complicated that nothing was. And we've said this before on other episodes, but this one, it really felt like none of them are clear cut. Yeah. And it occurred to me literally while podcasting that they did all come out of longer continuing storylines. There was no incident really specific to this episode. We were just kind of. steps on a larger journey it's also felt like a reflective episode like where people were really considering what they wanted and why and to what degree they should hold themselves accountable for something i feel like you know hank's doing that maybe for the first time in his whole life um (laughs) and then you know i think julia's starting to wonder more and so is zeke i think probably more than he ever has And interestingly, I think Camille and Joel are not really doing that much reflecting, but I think it's probably because they're usually the ones who do. And they're like, time for you to reflect, (laughs) partner. So, Juliet, I can't thank you enough because you are one of my favorite people in the whole world and one of my favorite people to talk to. You're just so insightful and funny and wonderful. I miss you all the time. (laughs) Likewise. And really, like, I just love listening to both of you. And I think part of it is because I know both of you. So, I, but it's just like your insights and your conversations are just to me like so wonderful and so insightful. And so it's always a treat to be able to be with you guys. Oh, I'm getting you. a little clumped. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That means the world. I, I appreciate that so much. Everyone, please follow us. Um, you know, at the before we started recording, Juliet was like, sometimes you say, Melissa, that, you know, you'd appreciate like a rating. Wh- what are you even talking about? Where? I should say that like Apple Podcasts is what I was thinking. That would be awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, our, we just got a new one today and we like read it out loud to each other and we're like, yay. <laughs> so it just, it makes us very happy. Um, so Yeah consider that or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parenthood Pals Everywhere. Feel free to comment on any of our social meds <laughs> or feel free to drop us an email. You can find that info at our website, parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> Even if you don't leave us a comment or a rating or review or anything, we sincerely thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. It means the world. I feel like in an effort to be sincere... I made myself sound extra <laughs> insincere, but I actually mean it. I actually mean it. I really mean it. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> but really, thanks for listening. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.